Hi, I'm Frater Yarmarud. And I'm Zarina. And we'd like to introduce you to Administrism. What is Administrism? As an occultist, for years I've felt the universe directing me towards a practice that was ecologically based with a foundation laid out by cultures untouched by the influence of what's become modern Western society. With labels like shamanism and neo-shamanism carrying too much uncomfortable post-colonial baggage, I've decided to take my own approach. Join Yara and me as we research and develop a magical system where we recognize our place in nature with all the life that surrounds us. We want to share with you our journey into a paradigm that incorporates ritual and ecology, anthropology and metaphysics, biology, and the occult. Using ethically sourced material, historical accounts, ethnographic records, and our own personal experience, we want to share our discoveries as we watch administrism grow in an organic blend of traditional spirituality, modern science, and a dash of homesteading, without all the connotations associated with labels like shamanism. We hope that by listening to how administrism sprouts in us, it will plant its seeds into your own practice. This way, you can find your own balance between magic and nature. Because the world needs room for both. And don't forget, you can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. XB Planus is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Every journey has its end. But this one might be a never-ender. The Atchison experience still sits at the forefront of my mind. I think about it constantly. The breadcrumbs that led me there, the events that transpired within its walls, and its reach and interaction with me, both before and after our investigation. Through a slip in time, this house reached out to me, months before I realized that it did planning a message in the audio recordings of an unconnected investigation. But maybe it wasn't unconnected. Maybe some of us are right when we say everything is connected. What I can say is that since I have started my own journey into the world of paranormal investigation, one thing has become more and more clear. The more I learn, the less I know. And the only answers we find are more refined questions. Everything I thought I knew about this location has been called into question. From the stories of those who lived there, the history of the family whose patriarch might still be there, to the theories of what else might be residing there, hidden in the shadows. It is a riddle inside of an enigma, inside of a mystery. But it's a mystery I must pursue further. And while tonight, might bring our coverage of this particular investigation to an end for now. The case itself is far from closed. Even now, I feel it, scratching in the back of my mind, beckoning me to come back. That house is not done with me, and I am far from done with it. Welcome to XV Planets. Greetings, friends, fiends, and lovers of strange and wondrous things. Welcome back to XV Planis. Transmitting from the Black Lodge, as always, I am your host, Flood, and I am very happy to be here to dive further into the weird with you. 
Now before we get into it, I wanted to take a moment to point out that the Stark family, who I mentioned on the last episode, is nearing their goal to cover funeral expenses for Cameron Starks. But they still need a little bit of a push, so if you're able to help, please click on the link in the show notes. Also, for you animal lovers like myself, Star and Diz, friends to the XV Planis family, are in need of a little assistance to cover surgery expenses to help get Diz, a delightful four-legged friend, back on her paws and back to being her usual high-energy self. A link to the fundraiser will also be listed in the show notes, and please donate if you're able to. Now, on to the odd and unexplained. Tonight, we arrive at the conclusion of our series on one of the most haunted locations in America and, potentially, the world, the Sally House. At least for now. And I say for now, dear listeners, because I am definitely going back. Not sure when just yet, but that place is more active than consumers on Black Friday, and I am determined to understand it more. In this final installment, we will revisit the experience in the form of a group discussion with the core team of the investigation, followed by an open discussion about the house with special guests Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess from Astonishing Legends, who unknowingly played a significant role in putting me on the doorstep of 508 North 2nd Street in Atchison, Kansas. Now we have a lot to dive into in this episode, so let's get right to it. Back in March, the team from the Sally House was lucky enough to meet up on our way to another paranormal hotspot that we will be covering later this year. We took the opportunity to sit down and discuss our thoughts on the experience after we had a chance to process it all for a couple of months. I need to apologize in advance for the quality of this recording as it was recorded in a coffee shop that, without us even knowing it before we met there, turned out to be haunted, and there is the potential of an EVP of a laugh responding to a joke that we were chuckling at. So, yeah, there's that. So without further ado, here is the follow-up conversation between Jill, Walker, Alejandro, and myself, discussing our working theories and current conclusions on what happened in the South House. All right, folks, uh, I'm going to apologize in advance for the background noise. We are recording this from the road, but for the first time since we departed Atchison, Kansas, we finally have the original troop back together who is there for the Sally House. Jill, I want to say thank you so much for joining us. Alejandro, Walker, the family is back together. This is fantastic. But uh, this is our opportunity to kind of have a catch-up session after our experiences at the Sally House now that we've had a chance to sit on it for a bit and stew on our experiences. So... uh, What's your feedback so far, man? Walker, tell me, tell me what you think. Now that we've uh, been out of there for over two months now, what are your thoughts on the experience, and what do you think is really going on there? Um, you know, I, I, I feel like a lot of our thoughts have been shifted towards um, just a run-of-the-mill um, haunting of some, some, some ghosts that want to be left alone a little bit. You know, I, I, I feel like they still need their, their voices to be told and that that side of the story to be spread but um i think overall like wasn't anything too crazy i think it was manipulating us in ways that just made us want to leave um so i honestly feel like that's the crux of it in, in my opinion is that there's not anything uh you know crazy um like bad for you there but possibly you know some some spirits that want everyone to leave them well enough alone fair enough what about you, my friend? Alejandro? 
I think our time there was... It was a good amount of time to experience different things. We were there for two two full days, let's say. We got there, yeah, two full days. And that was definitely enough time to be able to immerse ourselves in the energies there and experiment with different, you know, methods and things to really kind of elicit any kind of response from the energies there. And we definitely got results, and the results that we got, I think, called some things into question, you know, on the, you know, official story of the of the Sally House. Um, and it's just very thought-provoking in a lot of different ways, um, and definitely lends itself to wanting to go back and experiment more. I'll drink to that. Uh, coffee, because it's too early for anything else. But, um, yeah, I definitely want to head back. That's already been on my mind for making a second run. Joel, what about you? Well, I'm going to agree with both of you gentlemen. Um, I think like Walker said, I think there is something sort of negative there. Just I think it's a residual ick that's left over. I think predominantly it's somebody's house, and they just want everybody to leave. They don't know why everybody's coming. Um, I really thought it was funny because when we were leaving and we saw the blinds, like someone had been standing up there peeking at us. Like, are they gone yet? Because like Alejandra said, we were there for two days, which I think is really a good amount of time to do an investigation. You come in, you introduce yourself, you're in somebody's house. Like, you kind of kind of get to know them. And I kind of felt like the energy changed by that second day. Like, okay, they're here to stay. You know, anybody who was shy, you know, they're kind of starting to come out and, and kind of starting to interact with us more. And that's what I really felt with, like, the feminine spirits there. I think they've really kind of been just overshadowed and maybe almost kind of held at bay during their time there. Yeah. But I think it's just really important to remember that, you know, first and foremost, that was someone's home and, and many people's home. Many people have lived there and they've had good things happen to them and bad things. And I think there's just a residue of that. And it's just that residue is only going to get thicker as time goes on. Speaking of that, actually, let's, let's talk about that dynamic shift. You know, on the second day, we decided we were going to get out of the house for a bit, and we decided that when we walked back in, we were going to check all of what we thought was going on there at the door. And uh, that really was a complete and total energy shift. Like, our perception of it, it, it was being fed back to us. And that's also when we came back and we found that EVP, which uh, still, wow. Like, like, yeah, like, how much do we want to really label that you know well this will be released yeah, this will be like in the last yeah. installment so yeah we can talk about whatever at this point I, I think that's the most important thing is every single investigation you've got to pretend it's a brand new investigation that nobody in the world has ever been there before and you just can't have those preconceived notions you just have to go in and say show me show me what you got you know, come, come, tell me, come communicate with us, and that I think that really was a dynamic shift because yeah. it really, you know, we just started thinking, no, 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 I'm not really sure about what everybody has said, and then that's like I said, that's when it was a shift, and then all of a sudden these feminine energies are coming forth, and that's when you know we're having the killer EVP and yeah. and yeah. all of that, which I, I really like that too because Alejandro's recorder was in the bowl of salt at that point. <laughs> Uh-huh, right. And, um, you know, and he said, you know, only, you know, something 
innocent. Yeah, yeah innocent. innocent. I didn't, no, I didn't. I, wanted, I didn't want to put words in your mouth. I wasn't sure how you'd describe that. Mm. And then, and I had done that too because I'd gone over and put my fingers in the salt, and I said, "Yes, please. You know, please speak to us. This is a place of safety. You know, you can say whatever you need to tell us. Please come forth." And then that was an amazing EVP. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, it really did seem that the first night was kind of antagonistic. I mean, obviously, it was mm-hmm. it was we were getting some serious pushback. But it's just fascinating to me that it, it we clear our heads, we come back in, we get that message, and then yeah, for the rest of the time that we're there, the experience is completely different. Still active, but it wasn't uh, aggressive like it was the the first night. It was yeah, it was you know like you were saying, the emotions were more subtle and nowhere near as aggressive and antagonistic the second day. No. After we came back, it was it was much more, uh, not exactly peaceful, but very much in the the less overt emotional, um, you know, side of the emotional spectrum. Yeah, I'm not quite sure about that. Um, like I said, I mean, we had just gotten there, so I don't know if there was a little aggression. Like, who are you people? You're in my house now. Mm. All of a sudden, you know, this is all going on. Um, so I don't know if it was like a bully energy. I, sometimes, you know, it's just like calling people's bluff because in the end it was pretty cowardly, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, but but I was really quite harsh with whomever that was. And then I think he kind of like backed down or, you know, went down to the basement or something. Yeah. I don't know. I was pretty affected that second night. I had a more intense night. I, I, that is I, true. I, I feel um, I think I was the most physically affected the second night I think I was definitely feeling it on the first night but I had all the pains and then um, like when Jill and I were upstairs in the nursery alone um, getting REM pod activity and just like just felt like tentacles were like in every part of me that it had like touched and then finally it worked its way up to my neck and just started burning and I was like I gotta get out of here it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's whatever was so something was really messing with me personally that first night, and that second night it turned its attention to you is, is kind of what that felt like. Yeah, for sure. And I'm, am I correct in assuming, like, so I'm the only one who had stuff happen to them after we left? I mean, That's correct. I didn't have anything following yeah. me. Yeah, I didn't really have anything until we got together. Um, I had the thing disappear. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Don't don't allow me to touch anything. Apparently, no, it's fine. I I was like, damn, that's really cool, and it was cool because my 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 girlfriend was there too, and um, she is like a person that not necessarily a skeptic, but has not had a personal experience, and was just like, I can't explain that, and I'm really glad I was here because if you would have told me, I would have been like, you just lost your grinder for no reason. And I was like, nope, I didn't. You were there. It disappeared and came back. So, no explanation for that. But Walker, you seem very closed off in the beginning. I think because you, when you first got there, you opened yourself up a little bit, and it was starting to get to you. And then you like really shut down that first day. Is that fair to say? Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. I think it was also like a new. I I had never been affected by a place like that, um, and I think it was just I only felt normal if I stepped out, you know. So I, I feel like I definitely knew that it was something in the house that was affecting me. Um, trance-like stuff, just kind of... I feel like it was almost like sizing us up, you know? And for me, it sized me up in a way that it was like, how you know, how much can I affect this person and what's going on, you know? Yeah, yeah we had spoken before about how the importance of boundaries. I mean, with living people in the dead, you just really have to have your boundaries. 
because I think I think they like the living. We'll we'll test those boundaries, and they're just kind of trying to see what you're made of. And when you're dealing with people that are empaths and intuitives, I think it's a little more difficult sometimes. Yeah. You got to really be aware of that. Yeah. Also, I want to just clarify really quick. I'm thinking more of the morning that we left was more of like the softer emotional side. Was the morning that we left because we were there. We got there one day, stayed had a full day and then it was the morning that we left was more calm I think we'd had a really big deep discussion that morning yeah. too I mean yeah, I was like in tears really, yeah. and yeah mm-hmm. it was I, I think we kind of went through those like mm-hmm. emotional cycle or, or roller coaster like you mm-hmm. said because we were there for two days it's yeah. like you start out like kind of apprehensive and then there was kind of like the challenge and you know we kind of worked through that and then um yeah, and then it kind of like worked more, almost like more toward morning, like cathartic. I think. Yeah, and I think morning. it was really important to the spirits there when we had gone to the cemetery because I don't know how many people had done that. And like I said, when you have the luxury of being there for two days, I think that was really important that we did that. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I think that we left with a lot of clarity too. I think there's a lot of like peacefulness and clarity, and like when you get all those messages that we did, and um, feels like we left kind of almost helping a little you know like it feels like we left without i feel like a lot of people when they leave places like that leave with more questions than answers and we obviously have a ton of questions oh god yes <laughs> but i think we have a lot of not maybe not necessarily answers but a lot of clarity and a lot of um success i feel like we felt like we really like tackled the house in the right way and well i think the most important thing is like we're finally looking at this place in in a direction that that i don't think anybody else has yet that has a lot to do with it because I don't buy into this story. The whole little girl Sally thing, I just, I don't buy it. There's no proof of it. I don't even buy it being a doctor's office. No. Yeah, Walker started doing some research. That was the thing. The more we were researching and finding things and we were actually vocalizing, this is not true. This this is true, we think, and we would state the fact. And I and I think that really helped shift the energy. I think they were listening, and it was like, oh, my gosh, finally, somebody is, like, not coming in here and just repeating the same old trope over and over again. Right. I, I think the spirits respected that. And I think there's a lot of spirits there. Yeah, we, we definitely experience more than just a couple spirits for sure i think that that whole I, I feel like it would be really awesome to be able to have multiple investigations going on in multiple houses and seeing what kind of like cross activity we get because i feel like that whole place is like a highway like it's like all the ghosts in that town almost are like swirling around like you go in that town and it's just weird everywhere like it just feels <laughs> so like everything is interconnected and it's the metro yeah it's exactly <laughs> yeah it's grand central it's a ghost train. Yeah. Well, it's so close to the river. There's so much energy just flowing through there, you know, besides all of the time. But, yeah, I, I have not done this. I would really like to sit down and, and do the real history and the real timeline and the real names and, and find where every single person is buried because we never were able to find all of the family graves. No. And that was kind of interesting to me because it was such a powerful family. They owned, what did we say, 18 properties? Uh, yeah, it was, I, I think it was around 20 houses total. 20 houses in that total. Old, like, even just in that old historic Atchison. Like, those are, like, big homes like the Sally House built yeah. properly. Even the house next door is massive. You know, uh, Which was also owned by the Finneys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I do think it would benefit 
the Chamber of Commerce there if they did that and put a plaque on all of those homes. You know, you could do one of those like trails where you just drive and it's like, oh, this house and this house. I think that would be a really good way to honor all the people before. And then speaking as a woman, like, don't just honor the men. Let's honor the women and what they did. Mm-hmm. You know that raised those families. I mean, because I, I believe the one there was it was a very large Catholic family. Didn't she have like eight children or six children? Yeah. To to that point, uh, the longer that we were there, the more like we started. We we were finding our own narrative, and it. I, I feel like Agnes True is a more important person to think about than the other people that are listed. There's something about Agnes True that stands out to me. And also, once we figured that out and she passed away in that house, that's also around the same time that we got that EVP. So there's a lot of stuff going on in that house, but it is, yeah, it's not the narrative that we're being told. And I, I'm with you. I would really like to dig in deep and, and kind of peel back the layers of the history on it. So I am planning on going back and when I do, I would like us to, like, whoever's coming with, if we can set aside some time to actually go and hang out at the Chamber of Commerce and talk to the local historians. Right, yeah. I don't mean that as any type of a, as a negative on them. It's just so easy sometimes to just, you know, oh, that's the story. And, and that happens. It's so many paranormal locations, so many historic locations. Um, it, I mean, even in, in Indiana, you know, where I'm from, there are local like tax assessors offices and you know court clerks and their buildings have either burnt down or flooded and sometimes there is no historical record to go to and that's kind of when folklore takes in and people just keep reporting the story over and over again and these things kind of come to be seen as truth but they're not actually true yeah i think that is part of the problem with digging into the history of that place is because they did lose a lot of their records. I remember us looking into that. But I'm sure that there's a there's a trail out there somewhere that nobody's picked up on yet. Oh, certainly. Did you go into the uh, gift shop part of the Chamber of Commerce that had all the old photos and all those things for sale? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, like, digging through there. I mean, you never know what you're going to find. Yeah. Yeah. I think, if anything, we'll definitely be able to figure out uh, how many houses and what houses uh, they owned and built because you just start tracing back the history to that time period. And I think, you know, there's... It'll be a lot of groundwork, but I think we have time. We're thinking about doing it in about a year. So. Yeah. yeah. I, at this point, it's like um, Sally House Solstice for as many years as I can handle, I think. We're just going to start <laughs> having Christmas there. <laughs> Might as well. Yeah, we'll have to figure out um, how it was platted out, if we could get a hold of those plats, and then you do the land title searches and things like that. Um, it, I think it's a little easier when you're out west because as, as the whole western migration happened... You know, people used to be given a, a homestead. At least, now this is true in Indiana. You were given 40 acres, and it was just a big rectangle or a big square, and they would divide it up into townships right. with the schoolhouse being in the center. So I don't know how that worked as you per, you know as you go out to Kansas, but it may be along the very same lines. It was very cut and dried what your 40 acres were or your multiple of 40 acres that you got. Right. Oh, yeah, this is going to be a long history project. <laughs> Sounds fun. My seventh grade social studies uh, brain is tingling. My history teacher would be proud, actually. So, what are some of the uh, what are some of the other points that we want to touch on regarding this house? Like, while well, we have the time, when we first went there, I was under I, I had the sense that there's something like unearthly there. And then during our time there, that was kind of amplified. By the time we left, I thought a little bit less of it. But now, with everything that's been happening to me since we left. I do actually think that there is something otherworldly there. 
and I think it is working. It is either working with or it is fueling the negative male presence that's in that what, house. Yeah, that's what I was just going to speculate on too. Actually, was that because uh, I had the sense while we were there that first, and I've mentioned this, and every time we talk about this, is that the first ten, fifteen minutes that I was there, I pretty much spent at the top of the stairs. Um, in meditation and that's when I felt the very 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 solid presence energetic presence up there I say it every time like skulking around me like you know trying to get some kind of a reaction kind of sizing me up as well kind of like you were saying Um, and after that it just I didn't feel it again I I had this sense like it was laying low um, in that kind of a way and then Walker, you said, like, after we left, you, like, woke up with that, like, the visage of that or something, right? Kind of in your in your mind, I guess. Yeah, I mean, okay. I woke up, um, like, in the house after that night feeling like something was just, like, right looking at me. Like, you know, like, when you're laying in bed and it almost feels like you're under the covers, but it feels like someone is just, like, laying over your bed and staring down at you. Um, and then that uh, night... In Asheville, I woke up super early alone. Also, and it just felt—I just felt that like presence, or like 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 around us. It's like I'm the only one awake. I'm the only like conscious person here. But there's like this other consciousness that's just like feels kind of oppressive and just feels like it just it wants to like bother you, yeah. you know? Yeah. See so that, that again? Yeah, that goes into the first night that we were there. Um, I kind of I kept a vigil after everyone else went to bed. I stayed up in that hallway there outside of the, um, the master bedroom and I, you know, bundled myself up and everything and, and was just in meditation as a singular alert consciousness in the house. And I noticed things and heard things throughout, you know, the wee hours of the morning or whatever. Um, and at one point towards, it wasn't quite dawn yet, but, um, at one point, I had, like, the recorders going around me and everything. Um, I was sitting straight up, so it's not like I was falling asleep. Um, and at one point, I shifted um, the phone that I was recording on, and the screen came on, the screen lit up, and immediately, it was like an energetic change. It was like, oh, he's awake. That kind of a thing, where it was like I'd been noticed because the screen came on. Um, whereas before, it was like something was creeping around. Hmm. Um, and then after that, again, it just like immediately, it was like a, I get it almost like it, like it just, it left or like it jumped around a corner or something is, is what it felt like. Definitely after. feels very intelligent. Yeah. Whatever is there is Absolutely. like super aware of what we're doing and what's going on. It, it, there is a, a psychic mirror aspect to that place because it, it knows how to react to each individual on a very personal level. Like that, that place, that first night, it was emulating my father right down to calling him out by name, Edward. Yeah. And the energy that, um, that, that Jill's friend saw or like around us, so we took the pictures and was like, there's, you know, male presence here. And it's like, what if that was something otherworldly that was emulating your father? Because it understood that that would be a personal, you know. And that that particular aspect is why I think that it is something otherworldly is because this this place knows the people that 
walk through its doors. It knows you, and it knows how to get you to react. You know, they always tell you, like, if you go there, it's going to give you what you asked for, and it did, but it's never in the way you think. That place really messed with me emotionally on a, a really, really deep level. Yeah, I mean, by the end of that Estes session, I was pretty shook. It, that house brought me to tears at least two times while we were there. It choked me. It pinched me. You it, were brought to your knees also, you said, with ear pain. You had intense ringing in your ears. Oh, God, yeah. Which uh, stuck with me for several weeks and then still comes back, not quite into that level of intensity. But, yeah, I, all around, that whole place messed me up. Yeah, the, the coughing fit at one point upstairs. Oh, yeah. And we thought you were outside. It sounded like it was coming from outside. It literally felt like I breathed in a handful of feathers. <laughs> it was incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, it's difficult for me to sort of tease apart in my mind what that that negative male energy is. Because I, I definitely feel that there was like a protective there that was um, keeping the woman outside the window. I mean, Emma was feeling like there was someone standing outside the window, like, you know, wanting in while all that was going on. And Walker saw the, you know, saw the face in the window like she wanted in but was being kept out. Right. And then, of course, you know, that Estes session, which I got to say that I've never, ever seen an Estes session like that, never heard an Estes session like that, and certainly never participated in one like that. And that was very personal. And it swore at me several times. Mm-hmm. Even it, it just all names. It called yeah. us all names. Yep. And the spikes we were, I'd never seen spikes on uh, like, like an EMF mm-hmm. reader like we got during that session. Yeah. It was just every, like, boom, boom, like 25, like, I think it hit what, like 75 at one point. Yeah. Yep. It was nuts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is incredible. And I, and I love it when you get the energy cause it's corresponding directly to what else is going on. You can't just say that like the, you know, the energy is random or what's being said is random. You have those two together, which to me is just even more proof. And the EMF meter was going off roughly at the same time that uh, Amma was saying that she was seeing all the stuff around me, right? Right, right. Yeah. And then, yeah, our, our psychic friend uh, Amma was, you know, viewing from the stream, and she was seeing things, too, as, as far as... So it was all, you know, just definitely happening on a lot of different levels. It was a tornado there for a few minutes. And yeah, that it, was a powerful session. Uh, i got to tell you, like, as someone who's usually the receiver, that was intense, like that that sucked the life right out of me um but this seems to be happening more and more every time i do it so maybe this is just the new norm but it was such a bully <laughs> energy and then like a typical bully it, it just it just collapsed you know scampered it was off. truly it just like scampered off it's like because i took a hard line and i'm like oh no you don't oh no you do not <laughs> but um but my friend who was viewing she actually was concerned for you because she was concerned about your blood pressure and she said if it had gone on any longer she was gonna say you guys really need to stop the session because she was really concerned that your blood pressure it was gonna put you over i do i i trust my instincts on that so whenever i hit a moment that it's like time to quit i throw my hands up and it's done i try not to push it but um yeah you threw the headphones off and that's when we caught that awesome picture um Oh, is that? <laughs> that was literally a, your emotion, like throwing the headphones down. Like I am done. Like can't do this anymore. Yeah. And I was just re- getting readings because we were getting all these crazy spikes on EMF, and then there's like this shape in the window that I guess we'll leave up for y'all to decide what you think it is. Yeah. Um, whenever this airs, I'll be sure to post that picture, and we'll let everybody else make up their own mind about it. 
Yeah, there literally was almost like a climax of the energy. Like, it kept building and building and building and building. And then, like, you know, John just threw it. And yeah, the it spikes like kept coming faster. And how it was. And, I mean, and, you know, and, and as you know from magic, I mean, that's how you, you raise a cone of power. Yeah. And that's essentially what we were doing is raising a cone of power. There was just so much energy that was feeding into it. I completely checked out. Like, I barely remember any of the entire 40 minutes that we were doing that. It was intense. Like Boy Scouts. <laughs> Sorry, terrible pun, terrible pun. So that was my feeling about the first entity that's there. I mean, I think, I think there is a residual kind of ick to the house. But I also worry that there might almost be like a third. And I, I have, still have some concerns about some of the offerings and things that you were making later that night. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that you didn't have flesh to offer because I would never, ever offer flesh to the dead. Okay, fair enough. And so I do worry that, you know, maybe there was some type of an, you know, um, a tulpa or an allegory being sort of created from that. So I'm glad you actually brought that up because, uh, you know, the various different potential entities that could be there, I think there is a heavy tulpa aspect to that house. You know, we already the, the place has now become a turnstile for paranormal investigators and tourists to come in, and they already are carrying all of that in their heads as they walk in there. And um, you know, it's Tulpa concept: if you put enough faith into something and believe in it, it will come true. So I think a lot of the negative energy that's going on in that house has been created by the people going there looking for it. Oh, exactly. And you have to be very careful not to feed the negative. And that, right. and that's what I was saying. That that was the only reason I had a problem with that. It's like just be really careful what you're feeding because we don't know what was there, and you might actually be giving energy to something that you don't want to give energy to. Yeah, actually, um, I don't know if any of you noticed, but in that salt circle, the you know the sanctuary circle that I set up, I left jelly beans. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. saw that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is again that, that was specifically meant for any innocent energies, you know, whether that you know I, it was I guess more aimed towards if there actually were children spirits there, hmm. but I'm glad that it caught you know the the feminine energies too that because absolutely you know like it was directly for innocent energies um well, which, i think you also look um like during that first night in that SS session we we really were kind of feeding like we were we were in our head of what we thought was there and we were seeking that out and then right when we had that block which we talked about before but right when we had that block of, of energy and say look this is our paradigm shift we're going to focus all our energy on this then we caught that EVP. Then we had all the events of that night. Then we had the REM pod speak. You know, like we had all that other stuff coming up after we reshifted. So I think it really shows like you can get a lot of activity in this way where you're feeding all this negative energy and you can get a lot of really positive and reinforcing act, act, activity when you go back towards like, you know, your own experience and like what your energy puts out and receives. That, that's just the best point ever. That's, you know, the investigators become part of the investigation. Right. It's a symbiotic thing. And and I do think, you know, there's so many groups and they get, like, maybe really crazy activity, but it's what they're bringing in. And if you're bringing in, like, toxic masculinity, if you're bringing in this real aggressiveness, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get met with, you know, that like energy. But in our case, it it. Re- it yeah, well, okay, yeah. We went in there, there's stuff we went in in there. there feeding the tulpa. Uh-huh. We basically went in there feeding it. It's, it's impossible not to. How do you not? Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, at least a little bit. I, I think in my case, having you know very little back. Like again, I wouldn't say I went in blind because I did listen to Astonishing Legends. You know their entire series on it. But that was all the, you know, information that I had was just from that, you know, and, you know, having not heard of it before that, I just, I had more of a recent perspective on it rather than, you know, like years of, of, you know, having knowledge of it and kind of, uh, you know, integrating that information and history, you know, into, into my, you know, whatever, um, you know, mental processes about the place, um, and so I think that, like, it was, it was more of a, it was less of a barrier for me than it would have for a lot of other people that had more, um, you know, knowledge and experience of the place. Um, so. I feel like that's what really led, like, our team for having, like, a lot of success is, like, you didn't have necessarily a whole lot of background. Um, my intention is, is solely on I, I want to collect evidence. I, I, I want to have tangible stuff so it's like let's just my mindset is let's see what we catch you know I, I, I feel like your mindset is um, I guess you can explain your mindset I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth my mindset is that the place actually reached out to me before we even went and uh, my mindset walking in there was I know that there is something here but I don't believe anything I don't believe it's what we've been told and my opinion on that really hasn't changed um, there is definitely something there it's incredibly active it's incredibly smart but it's not what we think it is. It's not what we've been told it is. But I'm really eager to go back and try to find out. Yeah, that, that's the thing. I mean, you know, I've worked as a scientist, and everyone always thinks, well, in science, you know, you form your hypothesis and you get answers. You don't. You just find more effective questions to ask. Case in point. <laughs> Any final thoughts on the Sally House, folks? Well, I was wondering if you wanted, while we were all together, to sort of do a bullet points of things like EVPs or object movement, maybe just kind of do a little uh, debrief of what we can remember. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. There was, there was definitely the, the staple things that we experienced, for sure, while we were there. Um, well, I think the uh, first thing right off the bat is each and every one of us, as soon as we were in that house, started to hear things upstairs. Mm-hmm. And downstairs and everywhere that people weren't, you know, I, I thought Alejandro was in the basement for sure for a solid 15 minutes, just bouncing around and walking around. And then he walks down the stairs and I said, oh, sick, there's no one in the basement. No mm-hmm. one's been in there yet, you know. Yeah, we did hear those noises coming above the dining room. And then Alejandro had set up an experiment with some batteries near the front door. And a few of those leaped to the floor. On yeah, while we were gone. Yeah, while sure. we were gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, took, I took photos before we left. That's the same time that I set up the recorder in the Sanctuary Circle. Those batteries were fine. You could walk right in front of that and not knock them down. Um, you had oh, to yeah, almost no. jump yeah, to like, yeah, knock them down. You would have had down. to like stomp. Yeah. And only like some of them were still standing. Mm-hmm. And it was so and, hard yeah. to get just a few of them to fall down. Right. Like, you couldn't just get one or two to fall down. Yeah. They actually had trajectory to them. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, know, we even tried slamming the door to... Yeah. to uh, See if we did it when we walked out. Yeah, yeah, would, yeah you think with an old house, but no, the, the floor was really stable. So we had the EMF spikes, the Estes session. We had your killer EVP in the Salt Sanctuary. Um, and then what you caught on tape when walking Yeah, the walkthrough. In yeah. The, in the basement. Yeah, the, the get out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, was, uh, that was wild. Yeah. I don't know if uh, anybody else has seen them, but I did, uh, I did catch two weird video anomalies. Yeah. Um, 
I will yeah, forward basement, those to you right. later. Yeah, yeah. One of them looks like uh, it almost looks like a little mouse runs out and then just vaporizes, like just disappears. And then the other one was the Y-shaped white particle that just kind of zoomed in right in front of me. I will forward That's those to you later. That's interesting. And then the potential face in the window. Yeah, right. yeah, and the Polaroid. The, Polaroids the Polaroid sure. down the stairs in yeah. the basement has a really weird light mm-hmm. anomaly There's, in yeah, it. Yeah, the distortion on that one is, is it almost has like fingerprints around the edges and then there's it looks like someone scratched something out you know on the photo but there's you know multiple polaroid shots of that same area and it doesn't have that that's um, a great technique by the way I, they're, yeah. it's expensive but i love the the polaroids well i also saw in one last night that i didn't see before uh looking up the stairs it looked like there was almost like a like a manipulating it didn't necessarily look like a head but almost like a head with like a nose uh, orb like on the ceiling. That was really interesting to see. Oh, and we had potential movement of that little dark, um, was it a little toy gorilla that yeah, was on, on the, the bed? Yeah, on the bed in the nursery. Um, and we no, the little... That the blinds had gotten moved. The little black creature with the uh, red eyes? Yeah. Something about that was really uns. I do not remember that thing being in that room until we saw it sitting on the bed staring at us. You didn't notice until the eyes were like looking at you. Mm. That was another thing, too, in the nursery. Um, when I was the only one upstairs at one point, and the REM pods in the nursery just went off, like, for, like, sustained. No. And then I was the only one up, and I called down to you all. None of you heard me. And, it, you know, sound should naturally travel through that house very easily. I called down twice, like, loud. Um, and the REM pods were just going off. And, I and was, we didn't yeah. hear it. You were in that yeah. paranormal bubble. Of yeah, your own and we didn't reality. hear the REM pods either. And, and only, yeah, yeah, right. I called Which out those are honest. And I had recorders on me. Only one time of me speaking is is caught on the record, and I know for sure I called out twice because you didn't hear me the first time. So I called out again, and you didn't hear me the second time. And apparently, neither did the recorder. Okay, now that's really yeah. interesting. How yeah. far away from you was the recorder? I was holding it. I was literally holding it. There was two. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was holding one, and there was another one on that table between the master bedroom and the banister. So there were two, and neither one of those caught me calling out twice. The one that I was holding, you know, I called out once, but yeah, it was weird. And then, like I, um, you know, having gotten no response from you all, I had you know just turned to the room and was like, "Do you want to say anything?" You know, just kind of like, well, I'm here. <laughs> Didn't wow. get anything from um, that, yeah. Did you want to go a little bit deeper um, about the EVP that you recorded in your Salt Sanctuary? Because it, as we talked about it, we were texting because we had all left. That kind of went down a whole nother rabbit hole yeah. Yeah. all on its own. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, that was... It's... Okay, so I'm going to... Assuming that... You have that article, I'm just right? Explain it. I still have it up. Yeah, I haven't closed that that tab on my phone um, specifically because you know to have it on on hand. Um, but that EVP again. This was on an analog recorder. With so it's an AVP set. technically. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, alien versus predator. Right? Um, I've yeah, always got was, jokes. Yeah. This was, again, on an analog <laughs> recorder with a fresh cassette. I had just taken that cassette out of the plastic wrap, out of the you know cassette holder or whatever, plugged it into the recorder, switched on the voice activation, 
and I was the last one out of the house before we went out to the graveyard. Um, and when we came back, oh, and I set it up in the in the salt sanctuary, you know, and it had the jelly beans and all that. Again, it was specifically meant as a sanctuary for any innocent energies there. Uh, we get back, um, you know, we're settling back in. I, I took the recorder and I, um, you know, I just, I noticed that there was some tape that had rolled. And so I just start it and it's just, and then a beat starts going. And I'm like, what am I hearing? And then it's this weird music going on. And I'm like, how did this get on here? And then there's two distinct voices, um, both feminine. Uh, the first one to me sound, sounds like an older woman that says, bless you. And then right after that, there sounds like a, a younger feminine voice that says, you're a saint. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, I, I, I feel like that's directed specifically because I did set that up for Anderson Energies. Um, and I, just, I personally feel with, with the intent that I put into it and then you as well, there's, I don't think there's any negative energy that could have imprinted that on the record. And then the song itself right. is, is incredible because it's such an obscure song. But the, and then the fact that we were able to actually find what it's from because there's just a couple, just one line of lyrics um, that go with the, uh, that part of the music. Um, but the actual story behind that song and the album that it's on is just incredible and then ties into, you know, our working theory of some of the, you know, like the uh, family members, specifically one, um, of the house back in the day and then, you know, your um, emotional outpouring that morning that we left. It was, it's just a whole another layer of findings that just it it's mind-boggling because it's such an obscure song that was you know like uh it's from an album that was you know very formative for like the vapor wave um movement you know originally came out in 2010 on an album um and macintosh plus yeah yeah, macintosh plus well and of course then it came to you because if i had gotten it it would have gone completely over my head i would have been what is this but it really registered with you and then when you showed me the album cover Mm -hmm. i was laughing because the night before i'd said we need to put up some pink flowers we need some pink we need to bring in that (laughs) feminine and then this album cover right right yeah Yeah, so i i pulled up the article it's yeah it's macintosh plus and the album is Floral Shop and it's um, you know remixes of different songs and the one specifically that's on the AVP um, <laughs> is originally uh, a Diana Ross song called It's Your Move mm-hmm. um, but it's been stretched and, you know, and manipulated um, for this album um, but the it first and foremost the music itself it just has high strangeness vibes all the way through. Like the song yeah. itself is just, it's a great, song. it's a creepy it's, ass yeah. song to hear it's, out of yeah. nowhere yeah. from something that shouldn't play it. It's and very that's creepy. Another thing too, because there's no wifi at this house. No. Okay. So there's, that's, that's yeah. what I wanted to go to. So yeah. Coming from a technical aspect, there is no way in hell that that should have happened or all right. So, 
for one, it was actually picked up by the microphone, which means somebody would have to be in there with a speaker pointed in the direction of the hand recorder for that to even happen. Now, you can throw out the idea that maybe potentially radio waves could have affected things. No, I'm calling it absolutely no way on that for several reasons. I actually did the research. There was no radio station within the listening area of Atchison, Kansas, that would ever play anything that obscure. I checked. There was no chance that it could have done that. You even checked that if... You even went a step further and said, let me just look through all the playlists. Yeah. Yeah, I went through every playlist of every local radio station. And there is no way... The only way that song would have been played is like, uh, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning in in Kansas City or... You're not going to get an Atchison. Yeah, like a college (laughs) radio station. Maybe. 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 From from a technical aspect, there is no way that that should have happened. Mm-hmm. There is no way it could have happened. And there were no speakers anywhere that were set up, anywhere in there, that could have, even if someone had that song, that could have projected that. Like, just on the, the contrived aspect, someone would have to have a Bluetooth speaker in the house connected from the outside of the house because it was locked. You know? Yep. And again, it's just... And we would have captured yeah. any other noise of anyone right. getting into the house to play mm-hmm. that, you know. Absolutely. And two separate feminine voices yeah. at the same time. I mean, that is like beyond, that's like class A yeah. EVP squared yeah. to have music. And then to have it just be so mm-hmm. meaningful to what we had just been talking about. Um, and I, I feel comfortable talking about that if you want to discuss that uh, aspect of it. So, um Walker, correct me on my history. Uh, which one of the um, family members was the one that was the? It was Charles. Yeah. yeah, Charles. So Charles was a figure skater, and he was figure skating in drag. Basically, he was calling himself Miss. Yeah. Well, just to keep it uh, as accurate as as we can, um, he was he competed as a male figure skater. And was the most talented, so good that they thought he was cheating, so they kicked him out of male competition. Right. And so he would dress in drag and compete under a pseudonym um, so that he could still compete in figure skating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't necessarily want to, like, say, because we don't know. You know, there's not. No, we're speculating. Yeah, we're, this is pure speculation. Right. Um, but to be comfortable doing that takes a certain mindset of a person, you know, like just in general. I. This is just me, you know, generating that. But I feel like he definitely at least embraced a little more feminine energy than I feel like most men would in that time period. Mm. Um, so I think that definitely plays in. Uh, we're obviously talking about a way different place in time. Um, than As we're listening to Boy George. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, thank you. Yeah. So we we were we were sort of just speculating. Yes, for for a man of well-renown that everyone in the town knew to feel comfortable to do that, I think takes a certain amount of chutzpah and, and eventually he was found out. And so our conversation, um, I guess was just sort of led by spirits. We talked about, you know, cross-dressing and what it would be like to be in Ashenson, Kansas, which I don't get the feeling that it's very progressive now. And it certainly wasn't then. And we're yeah. talking about a, a town that was predominantly Catholic. I mean, these are, there's a literal nunnery down the street. <laughs> yeah. Benedictine yes, college, which, yeah. which the one woman had attended. She was in, you know, she was in that, um, in that convent. So we, we were talking about just restrictive societal norms, basically. And we were talking about, uh, trans dressers. And then, um, I started speaking. I was just led to start talking about my son who happens to be trans. And that's very close to my heart. 
And so, yeah, we had like this really kind of outpouring of like more like sympathy, like we get you, we understand. And, and I think that that really kind of amplified whenever you emphasize with the spirits like that, I think it's so important because they're like, oh, you're human. You understand me. I had to keep this whole part of my life like closeted and quiet. And now we're openly talking about it. I, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of got to be freeing to spirits. And uh, again, this links back to uh, why that EVP is so important. I'm not sure if you made the point, but the artist, uh, yeah, I can, uh, Macintosh I can, Plus, yeah. also goes by the name of Vectroid, is trans and is uh, a very influential figure in uh, electronic music. Yeah, this yeah. specific album was like groundbreaking for the trans music community and just, yeah. you know, being more out and, and open and really breaking down those 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 walls and glass ceilings. Yeah. So so, the way I mean, those that, that was just that was just mind-blowing to me because like I said that would have been completely lost on me, but then as soon as you sent me that and you know you were texting me at that point. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh my gosh. Oh we my really gosh. couldn't get that album out of our head. <laughs> yeah, okay, so and we played it on the way back, but um this is I this is the article that I found um, on the drive back, um, it's on Stereo Gum, uh, written by Miles Bow, and it came out literally a week before we were there on December 9th of twenty twenty one. This article was posted. Yeah, because we were able to find it super mm-hmm. quickly because yeah. it was so. It was like the ten year anniversary was, yeah. of the album. Right. Of the album, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, so the uh, what this person writes on that particular track is uh, really hold on. Okay, so it's the song that's on the AVP um, is, again, from a 1984 Diana Rouse single, It's Your Move. And so what this person writes about it, um, that song is so sprightly and romantic, every line delivered like a flirty come on, and Vectroid surgically turns it into something so lonely sounding. Um, She imbues the song with new meaning, gently pushes the hook off balance towards a deep melancholy that captures a quality the last decade better than nearly anything ever. So it's particularly even just that wording, you know, surgical for, you know, just having that in there. But um, just the fact that the original song is, you know, so romantic and flirty and um, the, you know, repression that, that could be, you know, there in the house on so many different levels. Um, you know, of the feminine energies there. Um, and then the song itself being manipulated to sound so lonely and empty and strange. The lyrics also, like, it's mm. it's very interesting that on the EVP we got lyrics, because otherwise we wouldn't have been able to find what song it was. Right. Um, and that song is like a seven and a half minute long song with maybe, yeah. maybe two minutes it's, of actual singing on it. So right. we caught a portion that had words so we could find it and figure out all this stuff. And the words are actually like, um, I ain't, or um, I'm not selling what you won't buy, and all this stuff about like, um, it's your move, like figure it out. Kinda. Yeah, and it's yeah. like after yeah. all the conversation we had, and it's like I'm not, I'm like I'm done selling this this stuff. Like you're gonna, you, if you can figure out if you want to, and I think we figured it out. You know, like you're not in, in an extent like. We got the activity based on our mentality of, of switching gears and saying, like, we're going to buy what's actually there. Yeah, I've got the lyrics pulled up from it. And again, in that version of the song from, from Vectroid, there's almost no, you know, actual lyrics spoken from, from the original song. But the line, 
It's again, it's it's literally a 30 second from beginning to end. This entire AVP is like 30 seconds tops. That's if all even. that's on the yeah. yeah. That's all that's on the cassette and the line that was captured of lyrics after the initial like beat starts going um, is it's your move. I've made up my mind. Time is running out. Make a move. And I think that's that's it. That's on the AVP. Yeah, yeah that's, that's always it. it. And that's again the fact that you were able to find what song it is just on that is incredible. But obviously that's those lyrics are stretched out to sound yeah. just entirely other yeah, other it's, world. It's, yeah, it's completely yeah. And just like kind of record scratch done. Uh-huh. And out. then at the end, yeah. Just, yeah, that was yeah. really weird too. The fact that the, the song itself gets warped in the it EVP. Like, yeah. it's just <laughs> and, well, another thing was the interesting timing of it because, you know, when you do an investigation and we have probably hundreds of hours mm. of of you know of just evidence, so-called evidence to go through and the fact is out of everything it was so blatantly obvious and it was just on a cassette recorder it was really easy to replay it mm-hmm. you know unlike you know we didn't have to you know get headphones and try to go through to try to find that it was just so obvious and so we got instantaneous message from spirit and then that helped change our day yeah yeah. yeah, and then we didn't even know the background of that song or the album while we were there in the house. It wasn't until we had left and we were on the road that we were looking this up, and then sent that to you. Yeah. So, I uh, so we we did get some pretty decent evidence, and even though we haven't finished going through it all, we got a, a couple of video anomalies. We got several fo- uh, photograph uh, anomalies. We got the EVP. We got the EVP in the basement. But I think that the one from that tape is probably, that's the crowning achievement for that trip. That's one of the most amazing pieces of evidence that I've ever heard anyone capture, pers- yeah. like, in, in my opinion. You know, like, to get it on the analog, to get it playing a song, to have voices, like, you, it's very clear. Yeah. There's well, no, one no one in the house. In the house. Like, the way yeah. that it just fell out. Like, oh, it yeah, just, yeah I don't, I don't, whenever I say, like, you know, about the Estes session and also about the CVP, I mean, I don't say that lightly. Like, that really was mind-blowing. Just the the clarity of it, the message of it, the timeliness of the message, and just the complexity is, is just really mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah, and it also raises questions, too. How would a spirit that was from, like, the 1800s, early 1900s, like it's just it just really raises questions. Have access to to modern day internet, and it just it just it really leads into some interesting. There is questions. no time. There is I no know, space, exactly. and you just go but right. Like, yes. I buy, but like, why? Yeah, it's, it's so cool. It's really really interesting to me. Like it on a on a whole metaphysical level. It's just incredible. I it, there's something about that place that time time slips around in oh, there. Yeah. It. it Spirit knows oh no such boundaries. Yeah, and then, but yeah, the like you bring that up, the Akashic records. I mean, that yeah, absolutely, that makes a lot of sense. It's universal to me. knowledge. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, which knowledge. which includes the internet and music. Well, exactly. I mean, yeah. you know that that's what we see in Reiki. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you send Reiki healing, it goes back, it goes forward, it goes to whatever mm-hmm. part of a person's timeline that they need. There's no time. There's no distance. Yeah, I mean, and not to mention uh, the geology of the local area. You can also throw in stone tape theory to that because of all the limestone, the railroads, the rivers. There's just it's there's a whole lot of stuff piling into that one. Yeah, area. and then the surrounding you know area as well with all the other places that have activity as well. It's just yeah. Well, 
Uh, folks, we're, we're about to get kicked out of here. Uh, they close at 1, so I don't want to be rude to them. Uh, however, I just want to express my utter excitement that as we are wrapping this up, we are headed to Waverly tonight. Excuse yeah. my excitement. I'm excited, too. I'm just too, yeah. subdued. Subdued. Subdued excitement. You always play it cool. You're I'm trying to keep my energy low so I can have high energy later. You're the stoic one out of the group. I'm also the one that goes to sleep at 2 a.m. That's also true. <laughs> he's, he's, the, he's the still waters that run deep. Was there a, is there anything else we'd like to touch on before we wrap up this conversation? I don't know. I just wanted to thank you for inviting me. I thought, I, you know, Sally House had always been on my list. And, yeah, I listened to Astonishing Legends. But, yeah, we went in there with kind of an open mind. And I appreciate you guys listening to me. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, mean, oh, yeah. I was I mean, just like, look, I, I barely know you people, but I'm going to tell you this. And, and I just I, I just feel like it was really it was really meant to be. It was really kismet. I don't think we would have caught any of the, you know, I, I feel like all of our energies together is what brought the stuff that we got out so I, I think all of us being there was was paramount to to the success that we had in terms of evidence that we caught yeah i've said this numerous times already i think we would have had a very very different experience without you and i'm incredibly grateful you were there because i well absolutely. thank you so much i know i was teasing you guys but i and i think too like your energies i, I always joke about you know toxic masculinity and you guys are not that at all you are all just so accepting and loving human beings that I think it allowed these spirits to come forward and that that really is can be a real rarity in the paranormal world I will tell you yeah mutual respect that goes for the spirit world yeah. as well all right well cheers everyone let's uh pack it in and uh, go chase some ghosts elsewhere sounds like a plan <laughs> As you can tell, the Sally House tends to react to different people in specific ways, suggesting a psychic mirror aspect to the phenomenon. We are hoping to return to Atchison sometime this year and continue our research and investigation. However, there are some other locations we have planned that might push that back into next year, so we'll just have to wait and see. But for now, this will be the end of our coverage of this particular investigation. But wait! the conversation doesn't quite end here. On the second installment of the series, we explain the odd string of events that led us west and into this investigation. But there was one missing piece I neglected to share with you all. Actually, I didn't neglect that point. I just saved it for now. Two fellow podcasters, and frankly huge influences to me both personally and paranormally, unknowingly planted a seed in my mind that would ultimately grow into the adventure to Atchison, Kansas. Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess, hosts of Astonishing Legends, are two of the most genuinely kind and curious people in this wheelhouse of the weird that we all adore. I'm sure most of you are well aware of them at this point, especially if you've taken my suggestions on this series to go listen to their account of the Sally House as well. But if you're not familiar with them, well, first of all, we're going to fix that right now. But then you need to go start listening to them as soon as this episode comes to a close. Astonishing Legends offers the most research-heavy deep dives into some of the world's wildest mysteries, offering a very even balance of wonder and healthy skepticism. 
Scott and Forrest's exploration of the Sally House history played a large part in my decision to go there and explore it myself. And because of that, I asked if they would be interested in joining me as kind of an epilogue to this series, as well as to get another perspective of this wildly active paranormal melting pot. And, much to my joy, they agreed. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Scott and Forrest to the show. All right, friends and fiends, at this point, I would like to welcome Scott Philbrick and Forrest Burgess of Astonishing Legends to the show. Thank you so much for joining me, gentlemen. I really appreciate it so much. I know you're very busy, so I'll try to keep this as brief as possible unless we end up going off the rails, which I'm totally okay with. <laughs> so brief by by our standards is about three to two hours. I uh, hope you're okay with that. Actually, we won't uh, we won't tie up your uh, your hard drives that much or your audience. <laughs> so we'll we'll try to be concise as well. I have space and I have beer. We're good. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there's a few reasons I invited you guys to help close out this uh, chronicle of our adventure to the Sally House. The first being, at this point in the series, I think I've directed my listeners to Astonishing Legends at least three times. While we did a brief overview of the history and how we came, you know, how it came to be a paranormal hotspot... We think that you guys have done the most comprehensive deep dive into its past that could possibly be done with the information that's actually available. And again, high praise to you both and the Astonishing Research Corps for such detailed information. Well, th yeah, thank you. I, you know, a lot of that we have to give credit to uh, one of the famed occupants of the house at its height of popularity, and that's Deborah Pickman. And Tony Pickman and Deborah was running a website. Now I recently checked when you and I, John, were talking about it uh, probably last month uh, about some of the history and some of the names and uh, whether there was a doctor there. So I went to the website and I don't think it's up anymore. It's the website that she ran, which was the official Sally House website, and I think it's gone. And I'm not sure what happened if they just got tired of running it or it went to another uh, URL. So. Uh, but like I said, she was the one who did the most digging and I, I trust her information. It, you are completely right. The, the website is gone. You can only find fragments on it, uh, here and there through, uh, internet archive sites. To be honest, like I wanted to keep them out of this. I wanted to keep them out of our pursuit into this, our study of it. I didn't want to revitalize their story. I want to know the house's story. And so that's, that's the approach that we're starting to take with this. Now, for those of you playing the home game who are itching for more of the history, I will provide the links to uh, your series on the Sally House in the show notes. And uh, again, I highly suggest you go back and listen to it. A great job, guys. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Now, while I've mentioned you quite a bit during the first two parts of this behemoth of a journey, uh, here's what our listeners are unaware of. The second reason I asked you to join me is that my journey to and through the Sally House actually begins with the two of you. Before the bizarre series of events that connected me to the house so directly beginning back in September of last year, like the EVP that I ended up picking up at Lydia's Bridge, the increase of strange phenomenon that started to present itself to me after the long QT event with the old ticker, and the really weird stuff that started to happen surrounding the hours and days that followed the moment that I rented said spook house, there was a seed planted in my mind years before. And I typically listen to podcasts when I'm at my day job. And during a shift about three years ago, I was plowing through your series on the Sally house and 
normally I'm pretty good at multitasking uh, when I'm working, but that day was coming to a close while your second installment was playing. And then that kind of brings us to file 10. Mm. And I know that you guys have been through a lot with that, especially Scott, you in particular. So let's keep this brief. I don't want to dive too far into that, but if you could explain to my listeners what file 10 was just a brief overview of how it came to be and what happened. So when we got to Atchison and I know that I think you've probably explained some of this, but I'm not sure if you have or not, but we went to Atchison um, because we were involved in uh, an in-depth series and the, and the lifelong search for Amelia Earhart and Atchison, Kansas is her hometown. And so we had gone there because we were invited by our good friend, Chris Williamson, who had a podcast at the time called Chasing Earhart, which is probably the most comprehensive collection of interviews and information on her disappearance in existence. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also just published a book that just came out called, uh, I think, something, Rabbit Hole or Down the Rabbit Hole or something. Rabbit Hole, yeah. Yeah, I Rabbit Hole. Uh, just describing the, the moment he got bit by the bug of the mystery. Yes. Uh, and his journey, yeah, he was off to the races. So we were very fortunate to have been invited because we had done a series on her, which had intrigued him. And he wanted us to come be on this big panel that he assembled with a, a lot of people who were all uh, much more esteemed and regarded than we are. And uh, so we went to be on this panel to Atchison, and we knew that the Sally House was there. We knew it was a haunted house. And initially, we had decided that we wanted to check it out, but we were so overwhelmed with our portion of the presentation, which was data-heavy. It had a lot of really specific information in it relating to all the missing aircraft that were like Amelia's and where they went down and what the likelihood of of uh, the different theories regarding her disappearance. So we were really in a dais with people who have studied this for 50 years, yeah, all their lives, yeah. who are experts, and we're coming up like, yeah, we got a podcast, and we did a yeah. <laughs> yeah. So You guys, we're, we're, we're equal, right? And they're like, no. So we were very nervous about that, and frankly, I don't, you know, Scott and I, we barely talked about it, because like, yeah, it's some old haunted house, and maybe we'll go by the gift shop and, uh, you know, get a little figurine with googly eyes on it. Yeah, and I I never for a moment doubted the things that had happened to the Pickmans there back from the famous sightings days and their story. Uh, It's a very compelling story and one that I believed in very much, but it was so long ago that I kind of figured at this point the house was probably a tourist trap and Mm. um, a way to generate income for whoever the current owner is. It's a small town. Income's hard to come by there. Um, So that makes sense. I mean, if I was the landlord, sure, I'd charge people to come check it out. And that's sort of what I thought it was. But then we had gotten invited. I can't even remember how we orchestrated all this, but we did a a group panel while we were in town with the guys from Generation Y because they live nearby and we were friends with them already. And they were like, well, why don't we come over? We'll all go over. We'll go to the Elks Club. It was great. Um, Mm. Which was uh, now recently when we covered Charles Fort, he talked about how I'd no sooner be a member of a club named for me than I would the Elks. But, um, so <laughs> we were over at the Elks club there with the, uh, with the guys from generation Y doing this panel and, uh, listeners came for both shows and we were talking and taking questions and just doing that fun kind of podcast, open loosey goosey panel thing. Mm-hmm. And one of the people that had joined in the audience, uh, was Maria Miller, who at the time was the head of tourism for Atchison. She no longer is, but right. she was essentially saying, look, I've got the keys to the Sally house. If you guys want to ca- uh, check it out, I can, I can get you in there. So we debated this and 
Um, I think there was a scheduling. We that night we didn't even figure out what the scheduling was, and then the day that we were supposed to be, I think, doing the panel or rehearsing the panel. Um, it was after. I mean, we had or was it after? Time. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. we felt relaxed. We had yeah, time. We, that's right, that's right. We, we were more have, relieved. Yeah, and, we would not have done it had it been like, oh, well, you have two hours before you have to be on stage. Like, no, 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 no. we're gonna we're gonna cram. Oh, okay. yeah, uh, that's exactly that. right. Yeah, and I so just then, have to say, uh, in my mind, I'd heard of the name, and uh, you know, and I was vaguely aware of the connection between the town of Atchison and and. Uh, Ms. Earhart and this house, and I'd heard the name, and it, you know, didn't really, it didn't really click. There was no context for me. And when uh, our good friend Chris Williamson said, like, "Well, hey, you know, you guys can do an episode there. There's a there's a really famous haunted house." What I pictured in my mind at that moment, again, not heard it, knowing the name, but not really knowing much about it, was uh, John. You're probably there. The the McIntyre Villa from yeah. 1889. That's yeah. what I pictured in my mind. You know, classic Victorian haunted house and it's been it's been kept up and it's going to be really cool inside but you know, uh, Anthony old Perkins in the window and Victrolas and all that <laughs> and yeah, I was that's what you get there like, "Oh, it's just a, it's a regular house." <laughs> like Not even just house. a regular, like it is it is so unassuming. Yeah. You know, it's no, like you just would not think that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. No. That's again. I, I'm picturing something uh, more grand, or uh, is it the uh, uh, the Glick Mansion across the street, which is which also is closed now? Oh, is it oh. completely shut down? Uh, I was highly disappointed. But yeah, it was a bed and breakfast. You could stay there, uh, well fixed up and appointed, and. Uh, that's what I'm more picturing, not just uh, you know a middle class house. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's the thing. So you know, coming back around to the timeline of events, we Maria had called us, and you're you're right, Force. We were done now. Yeah, because we couldn't have done it before. We were too uptight to do it before the panel. Yeah. But she had called was, us and said, "Hey, look, I had the keys. You want to meet us over there? I'll, or you know, I'll, I'll give you a quick walkthrough." And we were just yeah. like, "Okay, yeah, sure." <laughs> Um, With the whole family, too. Yeah, let's so, do it. And, yeah. and it was and, a relaxing kind of fun thing, like, hey, this will be fun. Yeah. You know, it's like, because you're also looking for something to do with everyone now that we're done with the panel and we're all kind of together and it's, yeah, you know, we're going to have a fun When evening. he says everyone, that's like, you know, I was, my son was there who at the time was, um, I guess, 11 and, or yeah, 9. Yeah, that was not a good idea. That was the only and thing then, that struck me before we did this, like, are you sure you want to? Well, I mean, you know, what am I going to do? There's, there's, why don't I leave him in a hotel? And I, I I, and I will flat out tell you to tell my listeners, like, there's, there's actually, there's a lot more to those small elements. You should go back and listen to it again. I don't want you guys have to to relive through this. No, no, it's it's you know, (laughs) but it's yeah. And then also, and my dad and stepmom were there. They they love to travel, so they came to check it out. And my dad's an aviation enthusiast, so Mm -hmm. he had come for the panel. So we all went to the house and we were like, you know, we're going to go check this out. We went there. And when we, when we pulled up, um, in the car, my son was like, I'm not going in there period. And he didn't even really know the story. He knew it was supposed to be a haunted house, but he's like, I'm not going in there. So he stayed in the car and, um, we went in and Maria gave us a tour. We went downstairs, which was, you know, what a lot of people argue that that's one of the creepiest spots. And, you know, it is, but it, it mostly felt like a musty old basement. And yes, there's remnants on the floor of something that they say used to be a pentagram. And they're all, they're a little bit wishy-washy about what has and hasn't happened there. They're, they're concerned about the image of the home and I think the image of the haunting and what kind of haunting it might be. 
There were directives that I'm not going to go into here out of respect for the town because I, I do love Atchison and the people there are great and it's nice to be able to come and go from the house. But they're just like, you know what, don't say this, say that and that sort of thing. And that's fine. We respected all that. But, you know, it smelled, as Forrest said, it smelled like a musty old house. It's very plain. It's very, uh, it's not grandiose at all. It's not any kind of significant architecture. Anybody can look up the pictures. I love the basement because it was a very hot and muggy day and the air conditioning unit is down there. And of course, it's not completely sealed. So you get a little blast of cool air. And, yeah, uh, it wasn't was cool bad. There. Yeah, it was, I could see, you know, you wouldn't want to be totally in the dark uh, sitting down there perhaps. I mean, there's a there's a creepy hole that's uh, that's punched through the the bricks and Jaws yeah. raising his hand. He did do I'm that. Diving, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's uh, but it just depends on your your outlook. You could not believe in any of that and go in there. And it's like yeah, it's fine. You know, just an old yeah. It, it's which is it's pretty much the disposition I have. But then at, there was a point at which, um, and I'm I'm trying to make this brief as opposed to our seventeen thousand hour series on it. But which we I will had... direct everyone to, of course. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. If the yeah, if, as long as you've got uh, two weeks of free twenty four hour listening time. But but, um, it's worth it, folks. We had recently purchased a uh, digital recorder that is notorious. You can just look it up if you want to. Um, it's called a DR60 if you want to know more about mm-hmm. it. And it's a very early model digital recorder being probably one of the first ones to come out that w- did not use a cassette uh, when they were first learning how to put um, solid state cards that could store data in them in these recorders. So it didn't really have any moving parts aside from right. the buttons, which are... Um, again, not really mechanical, but digital buttons, you know, simple on-off buttons. And um, that recorder in particular is notorious for capturing EVPs for whatever reason. Now, there's electrical engineers and, and audio engineers who will say, oh, it's just because it has such a horrible sample rate and all of these other things about it. And again, we went into great depth on that in our series, uh, including sending the recorder itself off to one of the premier forensic audiologists in the country, Ed took Primo. it to his lab. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, Ed Primo, um, and uh, also consulting uh, other experts about it. And that's a whole separate debate. But the, the long and short of it is, I was that this recorder, which uh, we knew other folks, uh, particularly the Haunted Housewives in Ohio, had used it uh, right. with us at the Kent Paranormal Weekend at the um, theater there in Kent, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And it had uh, pretty remarkable results. And it was shortly after that, I th- I think I had, um, I found one on eBay and I told Forrest, I was like, I want to get this, I want to get this. But they are, originally they were probably 15 bucks. This thing was like, I don't know, 12. Two grand. Yeah, no, 1600, like, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah it wasn't, it, it actually it went up in price yeah. uh, in the years, uh, the couple of years after we got it. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure I put it on the company card and then told Forrest. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that you two are responsible for part of the reason that it has such a great resurgence. Well, well I mean it's yeah. it's gone it's gone up even more. I've seen ones up there that are still in the package. Uh, Mostly, I would crazy. say, uh, yeah, the paranormal investigator, and uh, you could say he's a bit of a medium, uh, Steve Huff. Oh, Steve Huff, yeah. So Steve Huff has, uh, he got a hold of a, a fairly new one. I think that was maybe still in the package because it's got, uh, it looks, you know, ours is all scuffed up. It's the uh, the, mm-hmm. the plastics, the silver plastic uh, paint on it's been worn off and it's it's uh, the wheels kind of wobbly. So it's, it's pretty well beat up. But uh, uh, I will have a little story about that after we get done with this anecdote but he has one that is uh, still got the sticker on it you know that the when you buy st- electronics uh, i think the sticker uh, that peels off easily removable that that is still on the unit and he uses a lot 
for his YouTube clips, and he's gotten some remarkable stuff. Uh, but what, what I will say about ours is that it didn't end there. And for people that are understandably skeptical that it is just, you know, it's just broken. Uh, these things are all broken, and they just make static noises on their own that sound, you know, maybe it sounds like speech or whatever. Uh, what I can tell you is that it uh, has continued to do that, that particular unit. I've taken it. Mm-hmm. It is also it is also recorded perfectly intelligible whispers. It's recorded a variety of things. It's not just what some people who uh, talk on forums about that recorder called the Screaming Man. That's what they refer to it as, which is yeah, similar to what we got. Which is a whole um, lot of people essentially trying to just pass it off as like, nah, it's just it's a mishap. Everybody yeah. gets it. No, no. Like you and I, we we all three have done the research on this and we've heard yeah. – Many, yeah. many occasions where this thing has delivered direct responses to questions. Yes, right. in it's clear English. Really and, yes. well, and it's, it's also in context, like I said, which is, to me, narrows down the possibility that you're, one, people just think, well, you're just picking up radio signals, right? It, but they're, right. It's, the, the people like to talk from positions of, and I mean this with all uh, respect and love, ignorance, because they don't really understand how it works. There's no receiver on this thing. You cannot get, uh, you know, maybe if you held it next to an electromagnet as you're trying to record, you might get some distortion. Here's the deal, though, is that what that sounds like is over-the-air distortion. But what I will tell you is that uh, I've gotten stuff while in Mammoth Caves where there's no – we're underground. <laughs> Good ways. There's nothing at, down there. At Mammoth Cave, really? Yeah. Like I said, wow. you're not getting any radio signals. I mean, yes, oh, there man, are rangers there, but, uh, you know, they're not talking. It's it's kind of a quiet place. You're not picking up anything. I've gotten stuff inside a, a bank vault, a converted bank vault that served as a closet at the old Talbot Inn, which is concrete and steel uh, and pretty thick. And I've gotten, mm. uh, you know, with the door closed and you get stuff in there. So – and what I will say is that then it's also very peculiar if it's just a glitch in that you'll get stuff, you'll get distortion, that that, that distorted noise. And a lot of times it does sound like a screaming man or somebody barking uh, when you are not talking. It never happens over your talking or your recording. It happens in between. You know what I'm saying? I would expect if the thing was on the blink – it's going to distort your natural voice, but you can make right. normal recordings with it all you want. It sounds perfectly fine. It's just in between the recordings, then it's picking up uh, some kind of, you know, you could call it distortion. But then, like I said, it's distortion that sounds to me like words and speech and ones that answer your questions. So to me, that's a little different. And what's important to note here is that this thing, like while it being one of the first um – uh, digital recording devices, it also had a voice activation um, right, right. switch, which that's why Fileton is so important. Um, so at that so, point, yeah, yeah, Scott, we were, please. so we decided, I, I thought, hey, we should try this out, not having used it in the field yet. We had just gotten it, but I had, it was in my hotel room. I didn't even bring it. So I thought, I think I said to Forrest, you know what, I'm going to go get that recorder. We'll grab an EVP. So I, you know, the hotel Atchison's very small. It's like two minutes away by car. So go get back in our <laughs> rental car, drive back to the hotel, got the recorder, came back to the house. My son still refusing to come in. And I took the recorder and went into the house. And uh, we walked around a little bit and kind of played with it. But one of the most active rooms in the house is the nursery. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, let's go up here and make some recordings. And we did with us in the room 
And uh, there's some strange things that happened while we were in that room, in, including to Tess, who uh, works with us. She had someone uh, or something kind of brush her hair back from her ear after we had asked a question. I think we said, who are you? And Why? Or, uh, yeah, and yeah. She, and it yeah. brushed, pulled her hair. She felt her hair move back and then whisper into her ear saying, Why? And she, I remember the moment, and I can't. I think we were recording, or maybe we were recording video. Then she goes, "Did you guys hear that?" And yeah. of course, none of us did. Right. Um, so that was the experience she had, and I had some other feelings in the house. But the long and short of it is, I, I'm always trying to be a little bit. I'm trying to think clinically about how to get a good, um, a good pristine environment for the EVP. And right. I knew about because I'd read about it anyway about handling noises, particularly with a recorder that has a really bad sample rate. You don't want handling noises, which are the sounds that are made when you're holding it, no matter how quiet you think you're being, especially with a recorder like this where you can't monitor the audio. It's happening and you don't realize it's happening because you don't, you're not, you could have a headphone jack in because this is the kind this used was the old timey kind with a little tan cord. That was about the width of a piece of string where you would put like one little earpiece in your ear. Yeah, the mono days with your, yeah, with from your the mono Sony days. transistor radio you would tape to your bike handlebars and exactly. ride around with the beige earpiece. Yeah. But what I will say though, there is on the other hand, literally, there is the idea that if you hold these devices, these ITC devices, uh, maybe John can confirm this, there is an idea or a, let's say a theory that you are acting as a spiritual antenna and that holding these things uh, will actually get it to, uh, you'll get some extra stuff, extra extra juice you might not get if you just set it down. So there's two ways to look about it. Like Steve Huff, if whatever you believe in, you know, if his stuff is real or not, uh, he often holds it, but he also has a little, uh, little iPhone stand he puts it on. But he's often held, uh, seen holding this thing. It's, it's the same thing with... Uh, uh, Josh Lewis uh, is another uh, paranormal investigator that we had a connection with to this, and he's done a lot of experimenting with his DR60. And so what what uh, they will say overall is that it's like with anything else. You have to practice with it. There's no, there's no ghost setting on it. There's no detent. There's no notch where it's like best for EVPs. Uh, I've tried both on solid record and voice activated, and it just depends. Yeah. yeah, I honestly at this point think it uh, it it. I think there might be something to that for us, like you being a part of the equation and part of the antenna. But I also yeah. think it really kind of depends on the person. Right, right. I yeah, totally agree. At this point, like as Scott was saying, we didn't know. We didn't know. We just read the manual, and he did the right thing. Because what we're trying to do is not have any interference. So no outside noise that could be blamed on anything. So we set it down on a nightstand table and we left the room. We went all the way downstairs. Yeah. I put it into voice activation mode and I said, if there's anything here that wants to leave a message, now's your time. Uh, I'm going to leave. I'll come back in a minute. I now, what, what room was this, Scott? This was in the nursery. You upstairs. left it in the nursery. Okay. Yeah. Top of the stairs at the left. And um, in the corner, back corner there, and we uh, set it down on the table in the nursery by the bed. Uh, and I walked out and I closed the door. Everyone else was downstairs. I went down the stairs completely. So we were all downstairs talking in very quiet, hushed tones downstairs while I timed what I think was a three-minute period on my watch. That might have been five. I think we gave it a good Yeah, it might have been five. I can't remember, yeah. but I was watching 
my watch and just waiting for the time to pass. And everyone was downstairs sort of whispering like we were in a library. And um, then I went back upstairs to get it. Nobody was really paying attention or thinking we were going to have too much. And I wasn't either. Um, And I went up and I went in and I opened the door and I grabbed the recorder and I pressed stop. And I brought it downstairs. Everyone's still talking amongst themselves. And I sat down at the uh, table in the dining area and started playing it back and holding it up to my ear. And I could hear myself, you know, saying, hey, I'm going to leave this here. Then you hear me close the door. And then file 10 started. And um, just to just to cut through the fat there, because I I know how much that had an effect on, on you in particular, um, because I got to tell you, like, the way that that affected you, that's how I feel about what happened to me at Waverly mm-hmm. um, just mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. So, like, I, I get it. Yeah. What came through was just vengeful, angry screaming, basically, right. was the only way you could describe it. And right. to explain why this is an important part into how I ended up there, I mean, I got to tell you, when I heard that, I told you I was working. Like, I, you know, I work 14-hour shifts, and so mm-hmm. I'm around the last few hours I'm listening to this, and it hit that moment. And as the whole time that you're leading up to it, you're, like, giving warnings and, like, like it, you know, just, you know, might not be the right thing to play around children or, you know, if you're sensitive to uh, aggressive voices, yeah. might not be a good time. And as, like, the whole time you're leading up to it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, get to it, get to it. Get yeah, to that it. was one of our biggest compl- our gripes from the audience uh, because, as we're going to talk about here, it ran the range, the gamut uh, of reactions, Mm-hmm. Uh, from one end of the uh, the scale to the other, from one end of the dial to the other, and for uh, yeah. a lot of people that that felt nothing, it's just like, man, that was a lot of lead up to a bunch of nothing, and they right. were they were angry. I mean, they were yeah. there's some we gotten some uh, some emails where people were genuinely irritated. Let's say, yeah, but I would still say that was a minority. Yeah, yeah, it's it's reaction. all over the place. Most yeah. people, I would say, have a reaction, but yeah. but also there's some in the middle where it's just like it's it didn't feel angry, it it felt desperate and sad. Yeah, there are folks that interpreted it differently on an emotional level, which I thought was fascinating. Personally, like when I listen to it, I think I think there's multiple things trying to communicate there, and mm-hmm. we'll get into that here in a bit. But you know, again, I, like I've been listening to you guys for years, honestly. Y'all keep me to company at work more than any other any other <laughs> podcast. So good, yeah. When I uh, when it got to that point, um, the second that it kicked off, I stopped in my tracks. Every hair on my body stood on end. Uh, tears welled up in my eyes, and it really did feel like the room that I was in got darker and shrank around me, like constricting around me. And um, it made me buckle a little bit. Like I, I didn't quite get the reactions that some of your listeners did, like getting sick to my stomach or mm-hmm. things like that. But it, uh, it, it got in my head. It really, really did get in my head. And when it was over, when it was finally done, all of the light comes back in the room and things go back to normal. And the only thing that I could say was, I got to go. Like, I, I have to go. And I, I don't know why at, at that point I hadn't even started doing any paranormal investigation. I was still like very interested in the world. It was redeveloping my interest in that world after uh, being obsessed with it when I was younger, but now finding this new path back to it. And 
so this is why I say that that your experiences and what you shared with the world actually played an integral part into why I went there. Because once everything else started happening, I'm like, I still hear it in my head. I got to go. Like, I got to I gotta know what that is. Let me ask you this, John. What What is, instead of, uh, when something's compelling you perhaps to go, did you get a, a feeling of a reason? Was it, why did you need to go? No. Uh, at that point, no, not at all. Um, because I, again, like, at that point when I first heard it, still really wasn't doing any any actual active investigations. I was just finally getting to the point where I was opening myself up to mm-hmm. even the ideas of um, that world, that type of research again. Well, what made you not be obsessed with it uh, from your youth? What happened? Did it just fade away? There was a childhood uh, kind of uh, interest and it, you just grew out of it? Like what happened uh, in, to make that span happen? Well, I, I guess you could say that all of those things stuck with me as an interest, but uh, the reality of paying the bills and, you know, <laughs> taking yeah. care of things from a very early age, because I was, I was cast out on my own when I was around 16 years old. So mm. it was a lot of a lot of years of just trying to pull myself together and just survive, right. basically. Um, so it wasn't until, you know, the last five, six, maybe a little bit more, but the last few years that I've had a little bit more time to open myself up to it. And for somebody who, you know, I got to tell you, for somebody who is a card-carrying atheist for a long time, yeah, not so much anymore. <laughs> well, it, here's the thing is that it's, it's uh, you know, uh, the only problem I would have with uh, the difference between being an agnostic and, and atheist is the, the sureness of it. I can understand where you say, well, I just don't know. I've never experienced it. It doesn't make sense to me. That's not logical. And I've never seen any good proof of it. So I'm just going to remain agnostic, neutral. Hmm. And when you're atheist or the people that I've talked to, there's hard line in the sand. Yeah, no, there is a, nothing. Right, because I was I'm one totally of those. Sure. Yeah. This this yeah. cannot be. This cannot happen. This makes no sense. Uh, I wonder about the people that do believe in it, because to me, it, this is outrageous. Of course, mm-hmm. and and it and yeah, <laughs> a lot of aspects of it, it is outrageous. But I think uh, you fall harder when you come from that far you know, the, the extreme end of it, uh, because you drop, we've, uh, just a little side anecdote. We've got some very good friends who, uh, we were looking into, uh, their case and following along, we're not really getting involved with it, but it was a family issue. And, uh, one of the people involved who was, uh, uh, she had her boyfriend see some of the, the things that were going on. And, you know, of course, it was freaking her out. But I said, well, how did he take it? And she's like, man, he's, you know, he, yeah, he's a hardcore atheist. And it really freaked him. Because when you see something move that shouldn't and something large uh, fall, <laughs> you know, uh, you, that really warps you. Because, like, that's not possible. It challenges your whole belief system. Right. Or, right. or lack thereof, in that case. You know? Yeah, so he was even more <laughs> freaked out than uh, than the people that were dealing with this for years and years. You know, he was uh, just a peripheral person to the family. But, you know, that, uh, yeah, that really uh, rang his bell. Yeah. Well, I, uh, so, so that, that was kind of like the one missing piece uh, that I hadn't shared with my audience about why I went there was mm-hmm. that. Um, guttural 
reaction that I had to what you guys shared. And it uh, it deeply affected me. And little did I know, it it essentially planted the seed for everything that has been happening to me for the last year and a half. As a matter of fact, the more I think about it, I should call in and, and do one of those... Um, you know, chapter bits for a like, hi, this is John from XP Planets. If I'm not oh. sleeping in the closet of the Sally house or trying to entice the creeper to chase me around, I'm listening to you guys to figure out where in the hell I'm going to go next. Right. <laughs> right. Well, that's uh, yeah, we'd love to have you do a segue, uh, but you've got other places on your on your list that you're going to hit. And one of the uh, a few of them, though, notoriously dark, let's say. And the other one was uh, Bob Mackey's Music World. Uh, yeah, which uh, to, to be honest, I I call BS on a lot of the stories there. I yeah, really okay. do. Yeah. I'm not denying that it could be potentially active, but right. if you really dig into the history of it, I mean, they're talking about weird stuff like human sacrifices and stuff sure, like that. Sure. There's there's no proof of any of that. Right. Um, so I think that's more local lore and legend, not to say that it's not active, because I've seen right. a lot of people find some proof there. So I'll just go and figure it out for myself, much like I did with the Sally House, as much as I don't doubt the stories of the Pickmans or the other people that have been there. And see, this brings us into the third reason that I wanted to bring you guys on here is like, let's talk a little bit. But let's talk about what some of the theories are, because I don't buy in to the lore. I don't. I don't believe that there is a little girl named Sally there, or if there is, uh, Force, I think you alluded to the place potentially being like a, uh, a paranormal superhighway at one point, and there might actually be something to that when you look at right. Atchison on the larger sense, because it's not just the Sally house. You throw a stone in that town, you're going to hit a place that's haunted. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, every uh, all of the older places, and it's not just the older places, like I said, uh, you'll go into... Uh, you know, who knows? It's environmental, I think, in some condition. I think, uh, I don't think is popular belief, especially popular belief, especially especially by people who are a bit agnostic, thinking like, well, that can't be that ghost because they didn't die there. They died in this other place across town. Uh, and people say, that, you know, so these people are full of baloney because they're calling this guy the doctor or whomever, and uh, that's not the right place. It's like, I don't think people... I don't think all spirits, if uh, if they do exist, aren't bound to the place that they die. But that's a popular uh, cultural and uh, you know pop culture myth that uh, I think. But if you talk to uh, mediums, uh, you know, again, it's kind of funny that people who don't believe in this stuff are debating the uh, the validity of it by certain set of rules <coughs> that seem to be pretty arbitrary. On the other hand, yeah, you can definitely have somebody there that. Uh, you know, that died in the place and, and uh, leave some clues. And then you go do some research and you find out, oh, well, this does line up with, uh, you know, somebody that died in the house or they lived there. They didn't have to die there, but they lived there for uh, all their lives or a long time and left an imprint. And when they talk about Atchison, they talk about all the limestone and the limestone caves and the river right next to it, the river that took out First Street, causing the Sally House to now be on the Second Street or on Second Street. And the water with the limestone and the flow of energy and blah, 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 and all that. It, it and then does. you have the human elements of the rail raves and the power grids that are running through that town. There's right. a lot of energy flowing in and out of that place, no matter how you want to look at it. And yeah. you can look at it at a geological sense or a spiritual sense, but there's a lot going on there than, you know, just the house. And I think that's what I'm starting to look at is yeah. I'm starting to look less at, the Sally House and more at Atchison as a whole. 
Yeah, it could it could be as, as a center. I mean, the, the one, and again, I, you know, having looked into it, and it's been a few years now, and hearing more anecdotes and talking to more knowledgeable people and field researchers and all that, and mediums, and when you talk to people, I'm not sure there is any one set of rules or definitions to any particular case. And if you talk to, you know, the only people that uh, maybe have uh, their their spiritual finger on the pulse of someplace like that would be a psychic medium. And they they don't all seem to agree on what's going on there because it, there may not be one single set of uh, that everybody can tap into. Uh, the one, uh, there was a woman who was, uh, that Maria told us about, and she is a fairly well-known psychic medium, and she was trying to do some energy work there in the town, and apparently the anecdote is that she eventually left, and uh, she just said, you know what, it's a great place to study, but it's too noisy here. There's just too many um, voices, spirits, energies, it's just confusing, and I can't concentrate. So she wasn't able to, to do her study work or her research uh, using her gifts. She, uh, she had to go, again, it'd be like trying to record a quiet conversation in Grand Central Station. So a crowded bar, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it, you're just hearing a lot of chatter. And I think that's what, to me, that's what we picked up with the Sally House. I don't think it's one particular entity. I think there was a, there's several voices going on and... I got the sense, uh, again, not totally angry, irritated perhaps, annoyed. Uh, these people are tromping through and uh, poking at them and with all their blinking and buzzing devices and chirping, and, and they could be totally annoyed. But I think I got the sense that some were communicating with each other about us mm-hmm. while we were downstairs. And And what's interesting is that there was... Uh, Scott, what was one of the EVPs that just said uh, it was something about look at either uh, look it was either about the uh, the car that we had rented, which was it was like yeah, it was what's he got there? I thought it said like look at their no look at look at his money right it said and then (laughs) that's right yeah Yeah. um, it also said oh yeah can I borrow a peso. (laughs) <laughs> it was something Can like... Can I have a peso? Look at his money. This yeah. this was a particular person's interpretation, but what it was, was um, it, it was Josh Lewis's interpretation. Here's the backstory on that. When we sent our DR60 to Ed Primo, who is, again, a forensic audiologist of renown. He's a professional witness in the category. He's on CNN all the time as a consultant. He's the guy that mm-hmm. fixed the cockpit tapes uh, from uh, when they flew JFK's body back. Uh, those recordings were messed up and he restored them. So he's the real deal. And he, after we sent him our DR60, he called me and he said, um, I have another client. I I need their permission to talk to you. And I'd like your permission to talk to them. And he said, I can't tell you what it's about. And I said, it's fine with us. We don't have any. So he went away a couple days later, he called back and he said, okay, um, do you know Josh Lewis in Florida? And I said, never heard of him. Uh, no idea who he is. And he goes, yeah, he, he said he didn't know you either. Here's what's crazy about this. He <laughs> goes, I've never seen one of these recorders in my life or heard of it, but I can tell you this, you guys and Josh both sent me one within seven days of each other to ask what was on it. Mm-hmm. So Josh was in Florida. We're living in California, and we sent this one from Kansas. And Josh's whole story about how he, he actually asked the recorder 
what to do with it. And he heard Primo on the recording. And it's P-R-I-M-E-A-U. Yeah. And he was like, I don't even know what that means. And then Josh, or, or excuse me, and then Ed Primo came on CNN talking about something. And it was that, you know, he had that Spielberg moment where the TV's on behind him. He's like, what, whatever you do in the movies, chopping carrots, right? And he hears <laughs> Primo on the TV and he slowly turns around and looks at the TV and he's, that's it. And so he sent the recorder in. And so Ed was like, I just can't figure this out. And so then he's bench testing ours and all that kind of stuff. And that's a whole other thing. You can listen to our series on that. But yeah, the again, point and, is, and please do. You got to go hear this, guys. Seriously, it's amazing. Please. So yeah, Josh, Josh had said, look, I've done my own interpretation of this and what I think it says. And I'm pretty sure I subtitled that. And that's on our YouTube channel, too. His take on it. Yeah. And yeah, one of them so. is um, it says, look at his money. And then I think he thought it said can I borrow a peso or can I have a peso or something? So like a handout kind of thing. The thing that is interesting about this is, um, <laughs> and I have, um, I haven't really talked about this on our show cause I'm at least a little self-conscious about it, but like, you know, I come from humble beginnings. I was raised by a single mother. My parents divorced when I was two. It was amicable or whatever. I knew my father growing up and all that, but uh, she raised me alone. She was a secretary at a law firm in Denver. Didn't make much money. We lived mm. in crappy, heart, like famously my, what my family refers to as the house behind Arby's. It's what mm. I grew up in in Denver for several years. And apartments and our clothes got stolen. And I, you know, I wore high waters and hand-me-down clothes to school and all that kind of stuff. Went through all of that stuff. Later in life, um, you know, my wife and I worked really, really hard and had some measure of success. Um, through our work. And I'm self-conscious about it in a way. And so the crazy thing about that interpretation of it is that it it goes right to something that I'm particularly self-conscious about. And so here's a couple of things about this. One is people that know me in my personal life, and also I've talked about on the show, it's like, I'm a car freak, died in the wool, born just massive motorhead. I love cars. I have some that I've had for years, uh, all different kinds. I'm not this or that guy. I just love like anything cool that's well-engineered. I'm yeah. into the engineering of it. And so when I travel, I like to rent something weird that I've never driven before, um, that I'm never going to own, just for the experience of it. So when we went to Kansas, I rented a brand new Escalade just loaded to the gills with all the options, nothing I would ever buy. Like, all the bells like, and whistles. Yeah, let's do this. Let's drive this freight train. And, you know, I knew that we would have, um, you know, it'd be me and Forrest, but also Tess was coming and my family was coming. I was like, wait, I do need something that'll hold a lot of people. So yeah. uh, that's my excuse. And so I rented this. So when we rolled up to the Sally house, we were driving a giant black Escalade that looked like something out of the Sopranos, right? And we climbed out of the car and I was also wearing a very, very nice watch that my wife gave me a few years prior as a gift. So when I think about that thing when I came in there and the, the idea, and Josh heard that in the recording, I, it's like it strikes me to my core a little bit. It, it's like, and it's, it felt like, because I'm self-conscious about it. I'm self-conscious about like, you know, wasn't my car, but, you know, I probably did look like a jackass pulling up and, you know, getting out with my, you know, fancy watch. And I'm going to go in this haunted house, which isn't haunted anymore, you know, and and it seemed like a targeting uh, uh, event a little bit. So I that struck a chord with me. Now, here's the other thing, though. When I listen to it, I don't really hear what Josh hears, hmm. but this is the other side of File 10. Everybody hears something different, and I used to think that... 
you know, we've forced and I've talked about this a lot on the show and the interpretation of EVPs. It's like once you hear a phrase, that's the phrase you hear. And there's a whole, there's all this, there's psychology in terms for that. And it's kind of like pareidolia, but the audio version of it. And there's a, so there's a point to which you're like, oh, well, yeah, it does say that. I do think it says that. And you and I have talked about this with your own EVP, John. And so the, I like to, with EVP evaluations, I'd like to not tell people what I think I hear. And I like them not to tell me either until I've heard it myself. I like to hear it with no predisposition. Exactly. Yeah. But the thing is, I don't know that like if what Josh heard there, I don't know that it's right or wrong. That file seems to have metadata in it. Um, and I, everybody hears something different. And also in terms of the things that re, uh, people, the way they react to it and things that have happened in the outside world to them when they've listened to it, it seems like it's unpacking this metadata that almost is specific to the person that's listening. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a person who, uh, they were nervous about playing it and they hit play. They were in their car, husband and wife. And the minute they pressed play, Almost they had paused it. No, they did got, they got rear-ended. They did? Oh yeah. God. They got fully rear-ended, um, at a stoplight. There were other folks. And then there's other stories we've been told off the air that we can't even share that are even weirder. Mm-hmm. So, uh, because one of them was related to proprietary technology and a major automotive manufacturer, actually. And it was something strange that happened in the car as a result of the file being played back. So it just gets weirder and weirder and weirder. And that's why, not only with that EVP, but the takeaway for me with EVPs in general is that it's not always about everybody agreeing what it says. It's about what it says to you, uh, which is strange. And then... The other thing that I took away, and this is something that we've uh, found from people who are talking about the Estes method, uh, as well as um, the other kind of call and response EVPs where you ask the questions. This is the really one of the strangest things about it. And this ties back to me for, uh, for me with remote viewing and how time works and everything. And Forrest will tell you this too. It's like it's the – a lot of times the answer comes before the question. You know, most of the comments you can see from our YouTube channel – where we had posted the clip and just read those and you get you also get a gamut of responses to it from just this is the most you know bs thing ever why'd you guys uh, do this even people who love the show were just like i was really disappointed uh this was a whole lot of nothing to people like oh my god i broke down and cried like i said it, it's it's everything so uh like i said you can read the different the range of uh ranges of reactions on the YouTube page where we posted it and also the the comment section of the episode web pages where where the audio is played and that's how people have responded uh, not even counting all the direct emails we've gotten so uh, people with their experiences and again uh, you know there's just people like I just I played it and uh, now it just sounds noisy to me you know and then people and it's funny even that range who don't feel anything or just like yeah i'm sorry guys didn't feel anything you know love the show though love the episode to people who got angry uh, right yeah at it and it, so within that subset of like well i don't think it's anything you have people who are like yeah i just didn't hear it sorry but you know I, the, the show was fat the episode was fascinating i love the story but yeah that clip it's just like a bit of a letdown i didn't really feel anything to people who were like how dare you <laughs> like just yeah so that was interesting in that uh like i said I thought that there might be, uh, you know, what my dad might call a carrier signal, that there is metadata in there, that there is emotion in there. And 
uh, you know, I will talk about the recordings I've gotten after it where it does sound like that. But I to head people off of the past where they just think it's all screaming, what I will say is I come to the theory that it's a little like if you gave somebody <laughs> – just say if you handed somebody from the 1800s or the turn of the century a microphone and a cassette recorder, and they're like, okay, am I supposed to speak into it like this? And they don't, they can't control it where, who knows? I mean, they're just a, a floating spirit, aren't they? Where they're overmodulating in a way. Maybe they're passing through the darn thing. Maybe it's just, it's some other thing where, again, the tone that I heard sounded scratchy and screaming, but I, it also sounded like I was being told a story regarding the question that I asked, especially at the Talbot. That's the first place in the safe. That's the first place where it's like, I'm getting a story here, a personal story. Cause I just said, you know, do, do you know how you die? Can you tell me anything about your life here? And it sat, and it went on for a good minute or two of just, it sounded like somebody telling me what happened to them and their life there. So, but again, it's, really it's so like distorted yeah, I mean, that's the problem. You have to, you know, there's bits that fade in and out. And, uh, you know, I got one point, and you'll get, you'll get, it'll fade in kind of where it sounds more clear, and you have to listen to it over and over and over again. And Scott and I are former video editors, so I'm used to that. Hearing, it just drives other people nuts if they visit you in the edit bay, like, stop doing that! It's like, no, no, that's how you get used to hearing the clips over again, and you find nuances. And, you know, I thought I heard, you know, passages where it says, like, you know, uh, you know, Samson Maximus was my brother, and he's a NSOB, and God is watching him. You know, you'll just, but it's this whole story, and you know the person again. It's very distorted, so you can't really, uh, you know, it's not conclusive evidence. I won't ever say that. Here you go. Here's you can tell exactly what it is, and it's it's proof of ghosts. It's it's not. It's just it's interesting, and uh, I think. I was given an an answer, but I also realize I'm not going to convince anyone else of that. Mm. And you have to be okay with that. It's all about the personal experience. But Scott, ba- back to... Oh, yeah. The, let me at. just... In, so you can edit it together if you need to, and then you can come back in on what Forrest just said. But I, I, what I was saying was, one of the things that we have found out, too, is that it seems like, in a lot of cases, not just with the DR60, but with EVPs in general, uh, a, a lot of cases that there seems to be the answer to the question precedes the question, which makes you wonder about how time works and how EVPs work. And what will happen is, too, you'll hear the answer, start, not fully in the clear, but what will happen is the answer will start being be recorded, and then you'll hear yourself or whoever the person is asking the question, but the answer's preceded it by a few syllables or a few seconds. And then there's an overlap between uh, the answer and the person answering the, asking the question. So that is going on, too. So, well, um, I, for that one in particular, that speaks to me on a whole different level because I got that uh, that damn EVP at uh, Lydia's Bridge that I'm still trying to wrap my head around, and that was I recorded that. That session was done months before I ever reviewed it. I didn't even find it until the day the day that I booked the Sally House, <clears throat> and I. And still trying to wrap my head around that. Yeah. Uh, and it also makes no sense to me because I don't think that there's a Sally there. It's just something about that just doesn't. You don't believe uh, Peter uh, Peter James, the, no, I don't... the famous psychic? Uh... Okay. All right. So, all right. Let's start talking about <laughs> theories here for a second. Like, okay. if, if Peter James was picking up on that, then 
I don't know, Force, maybe there is something to what you were suggesting about it being kind of like a crossroads where there's a whole lot of things coming in and out. And this is something that's been kind of bugging me ever mm-hmm. since I went there and experienced it for myself in a longer sense. And I need to, man, I got to tell you, if I was independently wealthy, complete and total disregard for personal safety, but I would rent that place out for two months straight and I would <laughs> stay there. And, and I would, because there is, that needs to be treated with the same level of what people doing research at Skinwalker Ranch are doing. Well, like, uh, yeah. Now, I mean, this is towards the end of our convo here. This is something I want to ask you, but I just want to mention it so maybe yeah. we all remember it later. I want to ask you, John, if if it's too much, is the, the whatever's tr- attracting you to that place a quest for knowledge or curiosity or you just got to get to the bottom of something or it's got some answers for you, is it uh, – let me put it this way. You've heard certainly our, our conversations with Richard Haddam uh, about mm. the Mothman prophecies and uh, the phenomena as just an overriding overall, uh, you know, the trickster elements, the spiritual elements, a big ball of uh, stuff from the other side, and mm. how it's just one more answer, one more, just walk over here now. Your wife's going to call from beyond the grave at noon or at midnight. You just got to hang on. And at some point, the fictional character, uh, which was based on the real character, John Keel. Mm -hmm. So uh, you have John Klein uh, finally just breaking down emotionally. It's like, I want nothing more in this life than to talk to my wife who's passed on. But I know it's not her. Like, this is not, I'm being led for reasons that aren't just maybe just a practical joke, but you just don't understand. There's another reason there. So uh, anyway, uh, sorry to disrail you. Sorry to derail you, but I just want to. You get never to that. derail me with yeah. Mothman. I'm I live for that story, <laughs> hands down. <laughs> well, that's that's what I'm wondering is that is that when you were talking about renting the place for two months, it's uh, uh, do you feel uh, there's a purpose to that? Are you going to get some answers, or is it just going to be another two months you have to stay there? At this point, I now believe that I was uh, I was guided to the Sally House. Um, I think you two were a very small part of that. Uh, the fact that I did grow up watching sightings when I was a young right. kid, it's still <laughs> stuck in my head. Like I, I do remember some of it uh, and going back and watching it on, on a reviewing, I'm like, wow, I remember now. Yeah. But uh, too many weird things happened to me f- for me to not question it. I, I was guided there for one reason or another. And I think that reason is to dispel the narrative, like to shatter the narrative. There's, again, not discounting anybody else's experiences there, but I want to get to the bottom of what's really happening there. Right. I think there's almost too many elements to keep track of to do like a two or even a two or three night investigation. No, like you need a control setting. We got to go in there and like really dig into it. And yeah, a hundred percent. If if I could swing it, I'd stay there for two months, no problem at all. Um, I would spend my days at the Chamber of Commerce <laughs> digging through papers, and I'd spend my nights right. going back there. Because Scott, I know I sent it to you. Uh, Forrest, I'll send this to you later. But do you did you listen to that second EVP that I sent you? Well, I did. We did hear the one from the basement, of course. With the uh, and again, we we thought it was something different. It sounded like a, a child. Would laugh, yeah. which uh, which didn't uh, sound not that one. Okay, not that not not that one. Um, I'm not sure that I di- if I did hear the uh, the second one. Okay, I'll uh, I'll I'll resend this one to you guys a little bit later tonight. But 
uh, on our second day there, when we woke up, we decided we were going to get out of the house for a few days and we were going to check. Yeah. I think we talked about this on, uh, when I popped in to the uh, junk drawer Mm -hmm. that we were going to check everything at the door. And then we're going to come back with fresh open minds and just listen, you know, like stop trying to fit into the narrative or, or be a part of it or feed the tulpa, however you want to describe it, but just listen and the outcome of that second day was completely different from the first, or at least for me. Mm. Whatever aggression was in the house turned on to another member of my team, and the poor guy ended up sleeping out in 23-degree weather for most of the night. I had to convince Yo. him to come back in and sleep. But we we picked up on something, and that is I, I, I don't buy the stories because – I'm not saying they didn't happen, but uh, it's it's very much like the whole concept of any of this type of phenomenon. Your your brain is going to fill in the gaps for what you cannot possibly wrap your head around at that time. Right. You know? And what we got on that second EVP when we decided to come back in there with a complete and open mind and say, like, we're not buying the Sally thing, or or if there is a Sally, you can come and talk to us, but we're just going to be here yeah and the response that we got back was this really really obscure techno song out of the the (laughs) early 2010s with a woman's voice popping in that we think was saying something directly related to the tone that we were taking with the house after that and this also goes back into that whole metadata thing like if if there is something going on there, there's so much information coming out of it, mm-hmm. and everybody is getting different experiences, different responses, uh, different teams go in there. Which, sp- speaking of which, one of the reasons that I want to go back there for like two months straight is after listening to uh, Sean Daly's piece. Oh uh, yes, uh, right. when he was talking with you guys, because it, like this guy is in it for the science, and I love and respect that so much. Mm-hmm. I really do. I want to be that, but unfortunately, anytime I walk into any of these places, they really get into me in a personal way. Um, so <laughs> having someone like that hang yeah. out with would be great. Well, there's, there's different approaches, I, I feel. I mean, I think there's not one thing. If you, uh, like I said, we've, uh, and of course, after we interviewed them, there was a lot of people who doubted the character, let's say, of the of the Pikmin family. And we talked to them for a good long while. And they're, you know, to us, they're as down-to-earth and trustworthy as most anyone else we've met or talked to uh, in the course of this show. And uh, in a lot of talking off-camera, too, or off-mic. And so if you, if you take them at their word that all those things uh, – that happened to them were being relayed accurately later on. Uh, that Tony saw a little girl with a bow in a kind of a turn of the century dress in his kitchen and he sketched it. Uh, then in some respect or to his point of view, to his psyche, there is something that takes the form of a little girl. But I think Scott and I will both tell you, it's like, who knows what that is really? Is it, you know, that's another theory that you hear with the house. Is it something else that's much more sinister that takes the form of a little girl? Because who's afraid of a little girl? Who doesn't want to help and interact with a little girl uh, who, who's calling out? And what this thing wants is interaction, perhaps, uh, for, for all those reasons. So 
Uh, is there a, is there a threat there, or is it just mistaken identity? Is it uh, are, you know is Peter James who I think generally had uh, I always found him to be uh, whether you believed him or not. I think he felt uh, you know was genuinely sincere about what he was doing. If he did see something uh, and make a connection or get an image of a of a young girl with that name and and the date of death or birth. Uh, does that is that just a passing through? Is that just info passing through, or is that that thing? Is that connected to the bacon monster that popped up on our uh, during our Zoom call when mm. we we asked like, well, we wonder what's there, and then you get an answer, but is that a joke? Is that is that really what's there? Because that's what Tony saw uh, manifest in his bedroom, and he he creates these creature uh, horror movie caricatures. Uh, for a hobby, and I think he's actually been, been done some some work for some uh, Midwest uh, independent movies. Uh, so he has some skill in that, and it it looks like a horribly burned human. I have a little bit of a theory here, mm-hmm. uh, and I wanted to share with you guys. And again, one of the reasons that I'm so glad that you guys were willing to come on here and talk to me is that uh, I I want to talk about my own conclusions without the team that I went there with to get right. an objective point of view. Um, and I want to scale it back to Michael C. Finney for a minute. All right. Mm-hmm. So he built the house. Unfortunately, we know very, very little about him as a person. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we can track his family records, the family tree. We can get the basics. He came from Ireland. His parents were unknown. Uh, he came here with his wife. They set up shop in Atchison, Kansas. He was the wharf master. Um, down on, on the river. If I'm, I might be wrong about that, so don't quote me. I don't know why this popped into my head, but ever since it did, I can't get it out. Okay. He was there in Atchison, setting up his home, setting up his his castle, if you will, mm-hmm. at a time when the spiritualism movement was sweeping the nation. Now we know very little about about the Finneys as people with the exception until you get to his his children you know you find out about all sorts of fun stuff about Mm -hmm. cc finney which again go listen to these guys series on it because there's a lot of great stories regarding him but instinctually and just me trusting my paranormal compass i guess at this point is there a possibility that he was interested in that type of stuff Mm -hmm. and for that matter is that why he is anchored there because that's the one thing that I don't doubt is that MC Finney is still in that house. Well, that's the initials that were scratched into Tony's lower back on camera that yep. were that appear uh which you is guys got a trick. Michael, we got a Michael. Yeah. Like it's uh, MC Finney seems to be a very prominent figure at least in theory in that house again, you right. know, we we have no proof for any of this, but he built the place and you never hear about any paranormal activity in that house until a younger couple with no children and one man moves in Mm -hmm. up until that point it was mostly populated by family or it was populated by single women it wasn't until you get this strange man coming into the house that weird stuff starts to happen right so this is honestly at this point not only from our, our own investigation, but from every other investigation that I've looked into, the place typically does not like men. 
it it mm. goes it goes for the guys. It really does. And well, that's, uh, uh, Walker hey. and I are both prime <laughs> examples of it. So people's pets do that, don't you? Uh, don't you know? It's like uh, I have a pretty good relationship with with Scott's uh, original little doggy, Lou. But overall, I would say Lou prefers women. Uh, would you say that, Scott? It's like you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, and sometimes, but she's a rescue. I right. mean, we have no idea. Like the first couple years of her life were like. But she's, you know, uh, and, and that's the thing I think with his uh, the second dog they got, uh, Nixie. She prefers uh, women over men, or at least your wife. That both dogs I think prefer. You know, Scott is a chopped liver compared to uh, his wife as far as company for the dog. I think. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Know. No, Nixie has warmed up to me. Yeah, no, no, uh-huh. I, she, I think she has. Yeah. I'm just saying initially there is a there is something that people, uh, uh, it could be spirits or animals, uh, well, certainly people too, and uh, pets for that matter. They tend to gravitate towards, uh, it, it could be uh, a ter- personality type or a gender or this and that, but that's what living things do is that they They're- find, uh, you know, they, they find something that uh, is innate and and unspoken that they uh, feel good about and and make a connection in that way, uh, mm. but that house uh, whatever's there it's like it it messed. It, I always got the feeling with with the Tony story that uh, it messed with him, but also tried to keep him close. Like I said, there's it's a weird it's a weird relationship uh, that it has with certain people in the house. Now, if you look at uh, another famous case with the Conjuring house. Uh, as they said, uh, famously, the, the story there, the uh, uh, the Perron family, or Perron family, how you, whoever you want to pronounce it, is that the, the dad didn't have much interaction. It was, the, um, it was the wife and all the daughters. And now that could be because he was traveling on the road quite a bit and just wasn't there a lot. But it never seemed to interact with him, uh, the, one, the one male in the house. It, it just, it focused whatever it was on that female energy. And it, it, uh, and again, that's different between the, just the, the family members and that Angela, the daughter said like, I never had any, that bad of a reaction or connection with it. It didn't like my mom though. You know, mm. again, it's like, yeah. what, what's going on? I mean, who knows? That's what I'm going to say. You're never going to find a, a satisfactory answer. Uh, because there are different ways to approach it and experience it. And I, after you get done, uh, you know, I will, would talk about like just how there's different approaches to ghost hunting and people, uh, and people gathering data and what it means to them. That statement is probably going to end up being the death of me, that there is no <laughs> definitive answer because right. I'm going to drive myself crazy trying to figure this out. I, I really am. Yeah. But, but what I, what I can say is whatever the hell is there, it is intelligent. It is smart. It knows everybody the moment they walk in the door, and it knows how to get them to react on a very, very personal and specific level right. if it decides to interact with you at all, yeah. which there are many cases of people going there and nothing happens. And you know, this is why I hate watching the ghost hunting shows like, <laughs> oh, the rim pod goes off. Did you right. realize that you were standing right next to an electrical conductor? Whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, there's there's a whole lot to that, but you know, with with my team, it it messed with it didn't well, it didn't mess with Alejandro at all, but it affected each and every one of us mm-hmm. in very unique, almost tailor made ways. Like the Estes session that we did, it tried to pull 
angry father energy into the yeah. room, which immediately made me think of my dad and even called him out by name, Edward. Uh, although that can also double back to my first paranormal investigation, which was Edwards road. Mm -hmm. So there's, I don't know, there's, there's a lot going on there. It knows, it knows its subjects almost better than they know themselves. And it knows how to trigger you. Can I ask you something? I don't know your team at all. Is, is Ali, I don't know, Alejandro. Alejandro. Yeah. Alejandro. Is he uh, straight? I think think so we've never had that conversation i know that he's married so uh i you know never bothered to ask okay because i just you know i always wonder you know mike there's michael charles finney and charles croman finney ah i see where you're going with one of them was the figure skater and Mm -hmm. all of that and but like you know i had speculated that he may have been homosexual may have been oppressed as a homosexual that could have something to do with uh if it was the dad with favoring or disfavoring people that come into the house that it might see as a sympathetic or uh as an oppressor or as or or as a friend so uh i'm pansexual okay and jill's child is trans okay Mm -hmm. oh yeah i knew that about yeah it affected both of us yeah emotionally the exact same way okay Mm. i mean like there were random times that jill and i like for me it was the second day i was walking through the place and i was just like overwhelmed with fear and sadness to the point that it actually brought me to my knees and I started bawling my eyes out. Right. Same thing happened to Jill the next morning and she started just at random talking about her son. Right. right. So I do think there is something to that. And the fact that the EVP that we got, yeah, uh, the one that I told you that was overlaced with music, yeah, comes from one of the very first notable, uh, well, the very first well-known uh, trans electronic yeah. musician okay. in america okay so, so i do think well, that i just the, gotta I, chill i just yeah, gotta chill <laughs> i think there is something to Holy that crap. i really really do and this is something that we're going to be looking into um we actually like wait, wait uh, i'm sorry who's the musician the 80s mu- uh it uh, vectroid but during that album went by the name macintosh plus as we we <laughs> talked about before oh my and gosh. I, I, like i'll i'll send this link yeah. i'll send the evp to you guys uh via text because <coughs> it's pretty short but Scott, yeah, no, I really think that there's something. There is a sexual identity crisis. Yeah, uh, exactly. Because I can you imagine back at that time period, you know? Oh my God! Like well, seriously, no, when I heard that story, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I can't I, imagine what. I mean, they had to ad. ban him from figure skating because well, he kept I, I winning was, so much. Yeah, I was going to bring that up, but uh, that is a touchy subject now. Much like Charles uh, uh, MC, was it? He was Charles, not MC Finney. He was uh, CC. CC Finney. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, CC and MC Charles. Yeah. I was. I had to go back to the. Yeah. MC was a father. CC was the son who became mayor. Um, Right. Right. But also, yes, I've been listening to you guys a lot for the last couple of weeks. (laughs) But he also had the. uh, uh, And then who was was one of them a doctor? Had uh, a license to practice. That was CC. CC. Right. And even though that there's no proof of him. Uh, having practice in his house, he did have a practice downtown. And, and Forrest, earlier, you said something about, you know, like maybe somebody's death in a certain location doesn't necessarily matter. So right. something I find really fascinating is we've had these stories of uh, this psychic who's come to visit the house, uh-huh. right? And has witnessed an image of a woman with a broken neck at the bottom of the stairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one of the members of the true family actually did fall and shatter her vertebrae, but it mm. wasn't in the house. 
it was outside Benedictine Church. She ended up dying in the hospital, but it's still like a weird correlation. But uh, again, like so, like back going back on, to back what on we the were record. talking, <clears throat> yeah, uh, going back to this, and we actually like earlier on what comes before this conversation is our follow up uh, that we recorded on the road on the way to to Waverly. Like all four mm-hmm. of us sat down at a coffee shop and kind of talked about how we felt about it after two months of sitting on our experience, and that's something that really stuck out to us was that we we do feel that there is like. Uh, a heavy sense of identity crisis of confusion of fear of you know there's there's a lot of stuff but i i think that's a part of the puzzle that nobody's really looked into yeah and i think there is something to that because it affected jill and i very specifically in that way you know yeah huh well again it affects i think everyone personally they're you know in a very specific way or not at all i mean i i told this story when we first did the episodes is that I didn't, uh, I didn't sense anything other than that. The emotion I had was when Scott first played it, uh, you know, comically on my part, uh, you know, I could, uh, when he first played it and I heard what sounded like growling or distortion or that, just that noise, I thought like, bingo jackpot we got some we got some good material not that you know, we're not making a million dollars off this of course just that man we've got something to talk about here there's just, a little bit more of a validation for you about you know uh, just just that we had yeah it's, it's like again i always uh you know uh jill can tell you this and roger <laughs> I, uh, the two folks i've gone on these midwest ghost hunting trips for the uh, the last two uh 2019 and 2020 uh, and I, you know, how I feel about it, again, being a newbie and then having uh, like two seasons now under my belt, uh, and, and still being a newbie at it is that it's a lot like fishing. It, it just, it, and in the way that people also, uh, react, I was talking to, uh, Jill and Roger and they, they concurred and it's like, yeah, you're right. And, and there's different ways to go about that. It's like you, uh, you know, when I, heard that recording it's just like yeah we hooked a big one we hooked something this thing's there's something on the line here you know uh we're gonna have something to talk about and tell a tale over and i just thought like this is gonna make a great episode that was my feeling and then after that passed and uh you know the other thing was like i could tell it it upset scott and then i was uh I put it this way. I was uh, defiant. That was my, it's just like, you don't do that to my friends. Yeah. Uh, and it's, if you got something to say, say it again, man. You know, whatever you are there, uh, just here you go. Here's another chance. You you want to keep screaming, scream again. Got nothing. As far as I could tell uh, on the recording, I could not hear anything or it was too low or it's just kind of like that. It's that joke. It's like, now nah, we clammed up, you know, we're <laughs> like, this guy ain't getting nothing. You know, we yelled at the guy who is, who's going to have the biggest reaction because now I'm expecting it. What was the track again that you heard the sound bite from? Uh, it, it's off the album Floral Shop by Macintosh Plus. Uh, Macintosh Plus. Yeah. Most of the title is in Japanese or, yeah. uh, or something else, but uh, 420 is what you're looking for. <laughs> and, and what it is is a reworking of a Diana Ross song with different lyrics. Oh. But the small slice of lyrics that we actually got on that EVP are man it's like yeah. the timing of it is just 
weird. Yeah, that 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 house is whatever the hell is there. It is smart. Right. Well, I, I before we finish, before I forget to say this, hmm. uh, John, is just uh, I just be careful. Uh, you know, I think you can be too open and too vulnerable to this stuff, and too. Uh, wanting to to catch the big one and to see what's under the water and i would say uh just be careful because if if you are right and the you know whatever's there can sense uh emotions it uh as we say in the mothman uh analogy that some aspect of it is the window washer that can see five miles away and you can't and it's not uh, it just knows what's coming down the road for you and you, when you, when it tells you that, you get surprised, like, oh my gosh, this thing's an oracle. It's like, no, it's just, it's got another perspective uh, that you can't uh, access. My point being is that uh, I think that can be all-consuming, and that might be what it wants, or just to just to mess with you. So I would be very careful again about, um, you know, setting boundaries, like they say about anybody. You know, even having a, a friend who's a narcissist that. You are their supply for, uh, you know, energy. There's energy vampires that they will they will just It'll keep suck the life you. right out of you. Yeah, yeah, and you're just running around in circles thinking you're going to get something. You never it never comes. I I appreciate that concern. I, I really do. But when it comes to the Sally House, again, I I do feel like I was kind of led there for a purpose, and I think that last subject that we just t- touched on is part of it. Like, there's a lot of I think MC Finney is there and I think he's really grumpy and he doesn't like (laughs) other people there, but there is something else in that area that is either pulling more people or more spirits in or more energies in. And I think he's the one who gets angry because he doesn't know how to stop it. Right. And I think this is why he like you get activity from people coming in, trying to stir stuff up because he knows if you, if you feed this, if you give the investigators yeah. what they want, more people are going to come. But MC Finney just wants to be left alone. He just right, wants right. everybody out of that place. All I want well, is to be left alone in my average home. <laughs> so there you go. The, the, okay, but listen to this. Uh, was was MC a grandfather at some point? I think from one of the other kids. I'm not sure if he lived long enough to see it, but eventually. Right. It, like, yeah, he um, was. Because what I want to ask you, John, and if it's not too personal or, or no, out of limits, just say so, uh, but you've had some very personal, let's say, messages or emotions from beyond with your own grandfather. Yes. Uh, yep. Could you talk a little bit about that? Because I, I thought that was pretty profound, and I think that dovetails into this, this possibly a quest that you're on. I, I wouldn't doubt that for a second, actually. And uh, yeah, that's fine. Um you know, I, I, what was that back in October for us? Yeah, well, it was a while uh, ago, right? Well, I, no, the show that we had on Fireside with with Jim Hunt that was Halloween night because <laughs> I wanted to. Do was a, it really? Okay. Yeah, I wanted to do a fun Halloween night show, and uh, nothing was going on. I got no trick or treaters. Uh, I was just eating a whole bowl of candy by myself. But before that, you had said that you had went to a Samhain. Uh, festival well, and uh, or no no a, it, uh, it it wasn't a, it wasn't a festival because we were still uh, everybody was still on edge about um, COVID at the time so ah, the okay. the thing is is uh, I I am heavily connected with a considerable amount of notable occultists and I mm-hmm. often look to them for for spiritual guidance and some you know input when I need it 
and they were having a Salwin ritual um, early. No, wait, no, no. It was the week before they were doing. Uh, they were doing a group ritual that was supposed to be about um, saying goodbye to the summer. It mm-hmm. wasn't a Salwin related. It was pre Salwin, but it was just welcoming in the next Winter season. Solstice, kind of a thing, or or yeah. fall, uh, fall, fall, oh, sorry, equ- yeah. fall equinox. That's what there it was. Okay, fall equinox. Right, right, right. And um, I took part of this ritual remotely and there's probably like 30 of us involved in it and the uh the leader of the the ritual was guiding us through this whole um mental astral temple walkthrough of you know finding Mm -hmm. your place and finding your peace and finding the right way to celebrate your ancestors and when we got to that point like i just I got chills, but I was also embraced with intense warmth. And I, I kept my eyes closed. I worked through the ritual. I really stuck with it. And then I, I was just overwhelmed with, like, I started bawling my eyes out, but not yeah. out of sadness. It was actually coming from a place of, like, I felt my grandfather was in the room. Hmm. And when the ritual ended and uh, and our friends said, okay, now you can leave the temple, I opened my eyes and sitting directly across from me in the room is my grandfather's uh, olive tree table that he made, which I'm working on restoring right mm-hmm. now. And when I opened my eyes, I could see his face in the ingrainment just for mm. a second and then it faded out. And uh, ever since then, I, I really do get the sense that he's kind of hanging around with me and keeping an eye on me. Which is why I don't, yeah. you know, I don't, I appreciate your concern uh, right. for like me doing things like the Sally House, but I'm actually not too worried about it because the places that I go to, I feel like I am supposed to go there. I'm not yeah. sure why yet because this is still all too new to me, but mm-hmm. I, I do think that the Sally House trip stems from trying to figure out how to alleviate some of the pain of some of the other things that have kind of gotten sucked into this vortex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's what, and then uh, when we had the the live reading with with Jim Hunt, he he talked about uh, he did mention your grandfather that yep. there, there's some there's a presence there. Nailed and, it on the head. <laughs> and you got it, it was very emotional for you. Yeah. Um, but but there was a message that you, and I think there was a third thing. There was a third. I think he said this is the third time that something there's been a connection here, and that's why it was so impactful. But. Do you sense that there was a message from your grandfather? Like, uh, I'm, I'm watching out for you, but you got to do your part here in mm-hmm. the land of the living. I can't protect you from everything. Or w- what was the message? Be kinder. Take better care of yourself. Uh, r- really what it boils down to is um, I-, I got a, a distinct feeling of uh, uh, <laughs> I know you want to be more like me, but you're already a good man. And and mm. that's that's the thing that's really been sticking with me, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. and I've actually had uh, another medium say that to me. Yeah. So it's it's been granddad's hanging around apparently. <laughs> like I, <laughs> well, that's yeah, that's better than a a, a black cloud of uh, of gunk, you know that uh, yeah. some people get uh, balled up from being in these places for too long. And I'm sure you've done a lot of. Uh, uh, as people will say, you you get a, a some energy work done after you visit these places, and get a cleansing of whatnot. You know, my point is like, uh, I don't care if uh, you know that can't be proven in a lab. Doesn't hurt. You know, like, no. just doesn't doesn't hurt to to follow some of the other tips and tricks that other people who've been there quite a bit uh, seem to do when they visit these places and do investigations. Because uh, you know there is, uh, I think it just. 
in rational natural biology there are there's residues to places that was my the only weird thing that i talk about uh, with yeah. myself is that like i said the only sensation there was that it wasn't particularly scary it was very musty dusty uh you know because they do minimal cleaning there and it's not like it, uh, anybody's living there it, it's just that you it's, it's just a very musty old grandma's house and when I opened the, you know, my backpack that had the camera in it, I got a, a whoosh of that, that smell in my face back at the hotel. Now, here's the thing. Really? That, that backpack was in the back of the Escalade the whole time. It never went into the house. <laughs> but, I mean, the one thing that I, that I thought for a second, like, okay, you know, my thing is like, how, uh, that's not unexpected. I didn't, I didn't smell burning feces or the, or the, the sulfurous depths of hell. It was just like, wow, I just got a whiff of uh, Sally House there. And then immediately I thought, like, well, how's that possible? Well, the only thing that was in the house that I put in the bag was the camera. And the camera does have, uh, you know, it does have that sponge uh, windsock on it, uh, you know, for um, uh, the microphone that sits on top of the camera. It's like, okay, most likely thing is that that's, you know, it's essentially foam sponge. It, it soaked up some kind of... Uh, bit of the smell and when i opened the bag uh i got a little whiff of that but it was it was pretty strong it just dissipated uh quickly like the the uh the windscreen did not continue to smell like that for 30 minutes it just it it vanished pretty quickly so it's like look i can't that i don't know if that's a message or something saying like hey remember me Um, i'm hanging around but i do like i said my point being here is that Stuff has a residue. Wherever you go in this world, you're picking up crap. You can't even see. <laughs> now we it's have it true. in the and news. We have microplastics all through our systems. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, but no, that actually, uh, that goes back into something uh, that Sean Daly uh, pointed out in, mm-hmm. in your series. And I, I find this very important to note right now is we don't know what's going on there, but um, the vast majority of us who have been there to look into it, we can verify that, yes, there is definitely something going on there. The problem is it, you know, Scott, you said earlier, it's like, uh, yeah, it's probably just, it's probably just a tourist trap. Unfortunately it is. And now we're having all of these people tracking all sorts of stuff in there that, could potentially be feeding whatever is going on there. Well, you know, the, you know, the other the, the other theory and that brought up by uh, right. Well, it, as you said, when you have a good fishing hole like that, uh, what real life fishermen will do is, you know, they'll seed the place. They'll dump in large food service containers of corn uh, over the you know the side of the boat and uh, keep doing that. Eventually, you get a, a collection of fish. What we've heard people do in the house is because it's such a good fishing hole for. Uh, spirits is that they've done rituals and spells and are trying to trap stuff in there, you know, salting the windows and all kinds of, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, spooky, ooky stuff to keep whatever's there to rile it up, stir it up, get it agitated, and then get it trapped in the house. Yeah. Uh, because you can go back and back and back again and have a, this thing pay off of like a slot machine. Uh, no, I you you nailed it. Like the the place does pay off like a slot machine, but the thing is, is um, not everything there is keen on that. And I think that's right, ha- right. that's the approach that I want to start taking to it because I I am one hundred percent absolutely going back. There is mm-hmm. no way you're going to be able to keep me from it. Um, okay, uh, is it okay to mention Ama? Ama. 
Ama. This is what, Ama. No, here's Ama. here's the thing. That's funny. No, I, she called me out on that. Anyway, uh, in any case, though, uh, again, this is, we can talk about this when we come back on the record. But uh, you know, I sent some photos of, uh, uh, and again, I never talked to her directly. I did uh, send a few emails back and forth with Ama, and it, uh, and she, I just remember the impression that she said it, not a whole lot, but she said, "I feel a." A female presence that's, uh, I don't know if it's good or not good. I'd have to look at it. It wasn't totally significant or defining. She said yeah. it, was a, it was looking at the house, though. Yes. No, actually, that's something that we all picked <clears throat> up on. We do feel that there are there are some female presences in that house mm-hmm. that are being um, silenced or stifled, uh, particularly by MC, but also poten- potentially by whatever right. these other people have tried to do. Right, and um, there's something there that's uh, because, uh, you know, sorry. Now that we're we, back on the record, uh, the psychic medium, Ama, mm-hmm. she had told us that she felt there was uh, a female spirit or presence that was watching the house, but it wasn't. Uh, I wasn't clear to me if it was guarding it or or making sure nothing got out, or that nothing got in. And if it was totally good or bad, which is, yeah, that's ambivalent, it, it, but it seems appropriate for that place. But something was uh, some a, a female presence uh, of, of a spiritual one and not necessarily human was, mm-hmm. you know, taking that thing's number, that house's number, just really, uh, like I said, there's something, uh, again, I don't, it didn't seem to me, I would have to dig up the email again from years ago, but that... Uh, that there is something trying to control that place. And I think that's MC. Like, I yeah. think it's MC. I think that he built that, that house with his own hands. He wants complete control of it. And now you have all these people coming in and out, and then you have this small little movement of paranormal activity that starts happening in the, mm-hmm. the 80s and 90s, and this blows into a national sensation. Now you have all of these people coming in, stomping into your house, walking through it, flipping things over and trying to stir stuff up, I would scream at him too, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think, I, who was it? It was James Willis who said it. Like nine times out of ten, I find myself rooting for the ghosts. Yeah, get him <laughs> out of there, man. Get him out. Right. He is a, uh, right, as far as the type of ghost hunter fisherman, he's the technical guy. He is. Uh, I, I love him. He's great. Yeah. In, but well, the, here's, the thing yeah. that, Go ahead. The thing that we picked up on while we were there, like uh, that first night when we did that Estes session, mm-hmm. um, we did get the sense and and multiple people who were watching started to tell us that they were seeing what looked like uh, a woman looking in from the outside window at mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. And then later on that evening, Ama also uh, described what she picked up on, which was there, it looked like there was a woman who is stuck outside, who is yeah. desperately trying to get in. Well, that's which interesting. Which I yeah. found interesting. Yeah. Well, the one, again, the, <laughs> I guess if it's a, a little bit of evidence, uh, we were sent a photo of the place and uh, it, of course, no one's in there. It's locked up. There's no one in the house. In the upstairs window, and I can't remember if it's uh, actually that bedroom, uh, the master bedroom or the nursery, which window it was, but there's a silhouette, and it's not a perfect, uh, like cutout silhouette on black construction paper. I got the sense when you blow it up and you and you kind of 
meditate on it, let's say. It is more like the outline. It's got, we always describe this when people see shadow people as that. It's like the old uh, uh, Apple iPod commercials where they're blacked out, but you can still see some shape to them. There's still some form. And the one uh, figure, uh, the sense that I got, uh, without any background knowledge, of course, is that it's a, it's a male uh, in the window. And the only thing about the head is that it is like a 19, a ter- early turn of the century haircut on the guy. That's the only impression I got, but it fits the time period in that it's like kind of, you know, that real uh, slickly parted and, and you know, uh, precisely parted, slick back kind of hair that's, that's short. And that's the shape of the head I got. It was just looking out the window, but definitely male, you know, definitely a, a, a turn of the century dressed Somebody with the you know with a stiff collar, with the coat and all that. Um, right. But, but yeah. who knows? Again, it's totally black. It just it doesn't give me any detail. But it, there is, I just get a sense of that because it's not totally, uh, like I said, a, a cardboard cutout. It's there's some shape to it. Man, I just don't know. Like there's so much going on there. But I, I'm driven to find out more because I I do think, I think there's a lot of things going on there. Yeah. And, and I think. That at least a handful of them might either need some recognition or some help. Right. Well, what happens if you? Where, where's the end for you then? What happens if you do get some or you don't get any? Uh, how are you? How are you going to tie this one off? That's well, never going to get tied off. No, this is going to be ongoing. Same thing with me going back to Waverly. Like mm-hmm. I am going to continue to go back to Waverly uh, because of the experiences that I've had. Like there's something there. It wants to interact with me in one way Mm -hmm. or another. And I'm going to be open to letting it interact with me. Now, obviously I'm going to be watching my six the whole time and making Mm -hmm. sure that I don't screw myself over in a spiritual sense. Mm -hmm. But um, it's your move. I've made up my mind. Time is running out. Make a move. Oh, we can go on. Do you understand? It's all in your hands. You're this reading is, this guy. Yeah, what are you, what are you for the so That's the know, lyrics reading. of the song that we got. Don't say no, don't say no. Say you know we shouldn't. You keep holding out, but you don't let go. I'm giving up on trying to sell you things that you ain't buying. <laughs> yeah. That was the one that it kicked in on. Where I'm giving up on trying on selling you things that it ain't buying that you ain't buying. And our response to that was good. Stop trying to sell us stuff. Mm-hmm. Tell us what's going on here. Yeah. And in that same message, like I'm not going to put it into your head what I'm hearing. I'll share the EVP that we got with you guys, and you can tell me what you think. Right. Scott, you all good over there? You're starting to look like an anime he's, villain with your glasses. <laughs> he's uh, fading uh, into you know, the darkness. I like when it's it's getting dark outside. Yeah. I don't like bright lights, especially uh, at night. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I don't. Relay this anecdote. It's kind of like, uh, you know, we were talking about uh, ghost hunting. Uh, To me, it seems a lot like fishing and that there's different types of fishermen uh, or fisher people, uh, men and women. And you have a different style depending on your uh, personality, I think. And so the ones that having talked to a bunch now uh, over the years... Uh, not many years, uh, let's say, let's say, you know, how long have we been doing the podcast? Seven years now. And, uh, and not really knowing many before that, but you start getting into this and people find you and you make connections is that it is a, uh, a style based on your personality. So when I was talking to Jill and Roger, it was, uh, they were like, yeah, you know, um, 
there's some people when they go fishing, uh, they like to be absolutely quiet and they've got just the right lure and they're, they're checking the, the insects and the bugs and the lay of the river and the, the eddies where the fish might hang out. Maybe they have a fish tracker <laughs> and it's like, I'm going to get that lure right, right in that pocket there, you know, and, and, uh, and they're very serious uh, about catching the fish. Uh, and very scientific as much as they can be about catching a fish, you know, using the, the right bait, this and that, and then the, the hooks and, and trying different things. Well, that didn't work. So we spent an hour with that lure. Let's try another one. And on the other hand, there's a, and there's people in between, of course. But on the other hand, though, there are uh, uh, fisher people that will uh, go there to have a good time. They're, yeah, they want to catch some fish. Uh, but mostly it's a social thing. Ghost hunting is a, it's also a very social thing. You're there with a group of, of like-minded people. Uh, you're in a fun, usually historical location. Uh, you're doing something spooky and creepy and, and, and that's fun too, for those who like that, but they don't, um, they're not as, uh, let's say tight butted about it. <laughs> they're just, it's like they're, they're, ch they're talking a little, uh, yeah, well, there's some rules that you don't do again, like fishing, you know, you don't throw your beer bottles into the water. Uh, ghost hunting you don't like uh, pop out of a uh, you don't pop out of a closet or yeah don't uh, be that guy yeah don't be the person <laughs> it's like you know be respectful and uh, you know announce yourself and stick to the rules and uh don't prank anybody because it's like that just yeah you know nobody wants that especially if you're serious because you, you've also laid down some money and a lot of time to do this so uh but they're there to have fun like they'll they'll take a break and we'll be chatting and what I've noticed in my two my two tours that I've talked about uh, throughout the summer in the in the Midwest is that uh, we seem to get more activity on our devices, and what's happening when we loosened up and more was more towards the evening when we were kind of done and just kind of wrapping up and just shooting the breeze and sitting around. Mm. And I think the reason the reason I felt is that it's uh, as I said it's like going into a house or you know somebody's house or, or they're having a party or it's some facility. And there's a big group of people there, uh, and in, in this case, uh, it's like a, a imagine a haunted house with seven or eight different spirits in it, and you go in there and you're not saying anything. You're just you're holding up your devices that are blinking and and uh, and buzzing, and there's this little you know little electronic things with red lights on them and and all this, but you're not saying anything except maybe some questions like tell us who you are and you know, and if you're a spirit, it's just like well what the heck is this? It's like, yeah, those are interesting devices. And I think one of the EVPs uh, may have happened when I was holding the video camera, the, the full spectrum video camera. And it, it sounded to me like, uh, what's he holding? Or, or what is that? There? What's he got? Yeah. It's like, what's he got there? Yeah. And, and so maybe they're curious about it, but it's like, imagine walking into a party uh, full of people that's kind of quiet and you're doing that. You're just being a weirdo going around mm. and holding up things to people's faces. Are they going to talk to you? Is that welcoming? Is that inviting? It's like, uh, you know, somebody at a party, like, tell me your life story. Who are you? It's like, dude, dude, just, you know, go get a punch, you know, go, go grab a beer, chill out. And if you want a normal conversation, come back and, and talk to me like a normal person. Don't just be barking crap at me, expecting me to tell you all the answers to the, to the mysteries of life. It's like if you go into these places, like I said, once we started just chatting and, ha and laughing and having and telling stories and and uh, and having snacks, and now it's like three thirty four in the morning, the devices would start kicking off. The REM pod goes off. 
uh, the, the little uh, per, uh, parameter that measures uh, static electricity and in what direction would match mm-hmm. up with the REM pod. It's like they start to come to life because that's life. That's not a bunch of people sneaking around holding devices and recorders. That's interesting. I felt yeah, that it so just seemed that, yeah, like when we were Like they're we were attracted, attracted to the experience of being in the living again. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, like absolutely. I said, you, you, absolutely. Come, you come into a, a party and you're you're cracking jokes and, and uh, you're you're very friendly. People react in kind, usually. It's like, how have you been? Tell us your story. Like, what's going on? But like I said, you come in there very clinically. and and But here's the thing. It doesn't matter. It depends on the person. A lot of people have gotten great evidence. My thing overall, what I was going to say, is that we've talked to Troy Taylor, terrific author. Just hmm. a... The more more books than you can imagine. The guy is so prolific, and there's such. Oh, I got a, a few on the shelf over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we asked, you know, because we were got curious about Velisca. It's like, you ever do any ghost things? Like, oh yeah, yeah. He said, you know, we, you know, I had all the gear, I had all the stuff, and you know, I don't really do that anymore. I said, well, why not? He's like, yeah, I just, you know, I don't care to capture the evidence anymore. I just go there for the experience. We said, I go to these haunted places. I'll just take a camera. You know, I don't need a backpack and a, you know, I don't need a Pelican case full of all these things because here's what I'm going to say. And even Scott, I'll say like he, the last tour we did, uh, I was, I was thinking of doing this, but it's like, it was a lot of work. He wanted us to get, it is more so the James Willis approach. Like, okay, get a floor plan, mark off where the cameras are, uh, check your batteries, uh, you know, in case there's a battery drain, this and that, uh, and get all the angles down and, um, you know, there was a show that used to, I haven't really seen much of it, but it was called Ghost Lab, I think, where they would do that. All the cameras and the hard drives, everything sunk on a on a time code so they know exactly, okay, this happened in the bedroom, but this other camera in the bedroom with the, showing the other direction didn't pick it up. So you're really, that's what the lab part is. You're really trying to nail this down. And I love that stuff. I want, you know, I, I love James's approach, but it's also a different type of fishing, and that, uh, again, that's the scientific part. And then when I realized it's that, you know, it's like, yeah, you can do all that, but, and maybe you get some good evidence, but what's your point? Because if you're trying to prove ghosts exist, that ain't going to happen. It doesn't, you might believe it, but it's like, are you trying to convince other people who don't believe in this? Because that ain't happening. I don't care so what. That's the thing. Like, it's no longer about proving it for myself. Right. Like, I've seen enough, like, I don't. I don't need the proof. I've had the proof. I've had the experience. But, um, you know, as we all know, like you can take your personal experience and drill it into somebody's head a thousand times over. They're not going to get it until they have their own. Right, right. At at this point, I am I am just literally following, following instinct. Mm-hmm. I feel like I am being pointed in different directions. And so I'm going to go there. Yeah. And we're going to see what happens. Um but I, I think with the Sally House in particular, I, I think that there is a whole other layer to that place that nobody's looking into yet, and I want to figure out what that is. I'm not sure if I'm a hundred percent right about like the 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 human emotional imprint element that's that could potentially be left there, uh, like the way that it reacted to to certain members of our party in certain ways. I you know I just I don't know, but. I definitely know there's something there, and mm. I am definitely intrigued to figure out what that is, but it's not for the sake of, you know, I I think I'm just supposed to go. 
Okay. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I don't have any other way to explain it. It was the same thing with Waverly. It's the same thing that I right. feel towards um, uh, Bobby Mackey. Like, that's one that I feel driven to go either debunk or figure out what else is going on there. Right, because that's the... Well, that's the other, that's the other thing I was going to say is you go there to... This is all hooey, and then you get psychically spanked. <laughs> you know, like you, yeah, right? Yeah, you know. Well, I'm not saying that there's not anything there, but I just don't necessarily buy the stories that are being put out there. Sure. But, well, that's that's a uh, you know. Then you wonder: is, is it the uh, the egregore, or is that the uh, uh, was it Philip's ghost? I can't remember that, that experiment. Is that the uh, oh the Philip experiment? Oh yeah. man! Oh, that is a rabbit hole I am dying to get into. Right, really, because. Right. I do believe that there is a tulpa aspect to the Sally house. You have enough of these people going there that are constantly like just they have the the history or the story Mm -hmm. that was put into their head down to science in their own mind. And they're bringing that in there with them. So whatever is there, it obviously knows its subjects better than we know our own subject. So it's cherry picking out of everybody's consciousness when they're walking through there. I'm like... You, you, oh, you're going to be fun to play with. What's the scariest thing mm-hmm. you got in there? And I think that's kind of what's going on yeah. there. Well, again, and, again ex- that's why you should exercise caution. I will say, like I said, I've seen uh, what I didn't uh, say about some of the ghost hunters that we've come across or their stories that you read about is that at some point, uh, that's why there's always a, a good sale to be found on eBay of ghost hunting equipment is that... A lot of them at some point, it's like they give it up. Uh, it's like, you know, and, and not that they don't, like I said, they don't go legend tripping and they don't bring a camera or a recorder with them, uh, but they don't have the full on, uh, you know, ghost adventures chest rig you know, with the five different times of cameras trying to capture something. One, it just takes a lot of effort. You know, like that, like I said, we, we went to the first season we went there with Roger and Jill and a, and a bunch of other people, you know, Jill was recounting, it's like, well, you know, why that show does so well is that they came with a semi worth of equipment and every angle is locked down because they got a lot of money riding on this episode and this trip. They got to get something. You don't have the luxury coming there for a month. It's like you got maybe two nights there uh, or just the one night and you got to you gotta have a payoff. So they are, they're hedging their bets to, to get something. And so, um, you know, like I said, but the other people that eventually given it up, they still go do these things, but they do it for a different reason. There's a different feeling there. And I, th- I just, again, for yourself, just, uh, have some boundaries and some, and some goals, because I think, I think what Scott, I would agree with is that you can be led around by the nose forever. Hmm. And I don't know. It, and, and yeah, it's all fun experiences, but uh, don't don't let it close off other aspects of your life because uh, again, life is for the living. You got to learn your, you got to live yours. I think maybe that's what your grandfather was say, is saying is like you know be the good man that you are, um, and and maybe there's something to to find, but also uh, just the looking is uh, that can be be endless. I think. I personally take that that message of uh, you know be better mm-hmm. as applying it to this this area like mm-hmm. this this thing that we're all mutually interested in because uh let's say that there are you know ghosts everywhere we're looking at a whole lot of exploitation 
of uh, of spirits who maybe should be communicated with a little bit more, mm-hmm. or you know, there's there's more to it, you know. Yeah, I don't know. That's yeah. that's a whole other rabbit hole, and I mean, I mean, we could go on until two or three <laughs> in the morning, but I don't want to keep you guys up. That that's late, all right, you know? uh, but no, it's it's a uh, again, it, you know, I think what people uh, if they if they bother to listen to us, uh, Scott and I ramble on, is that it's. What we're talking about here is that uh, with your case, Scott's case, my case in a way, it's all a very personal point of view and experience and a filter and a lens and any other uh, anecdote you want to uh, apply to this or uh, analogy in that uh, it's uh, for those that that don't uh, experience something or, like I said, they heard nothing with File 10, it's all meaningless. It's like it's really about personal meaning and and, uh, for us – like I said, it was uh, we've always talked about. It's a real pivot moment that was not uh, anything when we went there. We weren't even going to do it. Uh, it turned out to be a very interesting experience that uh, changed our perspectives in in different ways. And so we that's the meaning that we found in it uh, from one hour in a dusty, smelly old house. Uh, it was a game changer. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. I, so, I you know, we didn't totally come out of there though with, with MC scratches on her. <laughs> but on you don't back. need to. Like right. that's not what this is about. And 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 see, this is why I'm I'm so uh, I feel more connected with with people like you guys. Is it's it's not about the the flashiness of all this stuff. It's really trying to to solve the mystery, to piece it together, to figure mm-hmm. out what it's all really about. Because it's. You're trying to make a buck off of a ghost. You know, I'll stick with what James <laughs> yeah. Willis said. I hope they win. I yeah. hope they scare the hell out of you, and I hope you get out of their place. But I, like, for me personally, I want to figure out what's going on in the Sally house because it connected with me personally. Right. Like, I feel personally connected to the place. I just can't figure out, well, I, I got a couple of reasons why, but I th- still think there's more to it than that because this is not about me. You know, right. there's something really fascinating going on there. I would love to approach it in the full scientific method. I would love to, you know, give it its due respect and, and you know, not go in there trying to antagonize the place. Mm-hmm. I, I want to know what those two women's voices that we heard on that second EVP were trying to get at. I want to know about the, the discomfort that I feel was, you know, kind of being spoon fed to us. You know, there's a lot. Right. Right. Will you have played, or are you going to play the EVP that you got in the basement? Uh, it is. Yeah, it, that was earlier on in the series. It's been okay. played a few right. times. Right. All right. Just want to make sure. I yeah. thought. I thought that was the case. So people have heard it, right? Yes. And absolutely. You, and that's what's funny is that you, uh, when, when we heard it uh, independently, Scott and I, of course, we don't like to. Uh, we just independently decided, uh, or trying to analyze it, just by listening and saying uh, what we thought it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's different from you guys being there because I heard, uh, Scott, it's funny, Scott and I, and I think someone else that we played before kind of all heard the same thing. It sounds like kids in a playground, uh, like an, an isolated kid's voice, just goofing around, making some noise. Um, I did not hear a, uh, what you heard, which apparently was get out. Yeah. 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 Well, that's that's what we heard, and Scott, correct me if I'm like I didn't, I didn't share that with you until after you had listened to it, right? What we thought we heard. No, actually, I can't remember if you told me, but okay. it's what it's you heard. 
I don't I'm, think I'm pretty I did. good about not leaning into what people tell me. Even though yeah. I said I like to not know, it's like I'm also will just be like, okay, that's what that person heard. I'm going to listen to it. You know, as like I said, as a as a parent, the first thing I thought of it was a child, and all my friends that I played it for that were parents said the same thing, which I thought was interesting. Right. But that, that goes back to I'm what I was parent, saying earlier. The- <laughs> yeah, but awesome. you didn't think it was a kid either, though, did you necessarily? Yeah. No, that's oh, what I. Okay. That's, uh, at first, I thought it just it sounded like I said uh, if you mixed in uh, some party wall of kids on a playground, you know, kind of yeah. as they do, they yell, like chase each other and, and have fun. Uh, that's kind of that. That's a, the impression rather than a word or something. It was a, a well, clip of th- again that comes back to my point about like everybody. We would never know if everyone is hearing something different. That's like, and, do, is, is the color green the same for all of us? We don't know that. Right. No, no. And so, so that goes back to the whole zip file metadata thing, which, yeah. you know, uh, again, kind of goes back to, I mean, what you guys picked up there. Like, were only certain people supposed to pick up on what was really going on there? Yeah, and we don't know. The people that listen to File 10 and say, I don't hear anything, we don't know what they're hearing. See, for me, it it sh- it, it didn't shake me. It it got its hooks in me yeah. and you know so like i think this is why i say that you two are kind of an integral part into how i ended up there is because that was a huge piece like when i heard that it mm-hmm. was i literally said out loud i gotta go and i have no idea why i said that at the yeah. time because at yeah. the time i had no interest in doing um any of this type of investigation stuff but as soon as i heard it i was yeah. like I got to go. <laughs> well, that <Okay. laughs> that reminded me of uh, what you're saying there. And, and again, I never got to the bottom of this. I, covering the Sally house, and then I think the next Halloween, whenever we, we did it, um, it was more of an interest. But uh, have you ever explored or are planning to explore Villisca, the Villisca house? I would like to. Uh, it, it's on the list. Um Right now, I'm just kind of trusting my internal compass as to where I'm supposed to go and and check stuff out at okay. this point. And St. Albans, I think, is the next really big oh, one that I want to yeah. get into because I do believe that that is directly related to my experiences at right. Waverly and some of the things that we've uncovered in the last few months. So. Right. Now, again, I will say, because what it reminded me of is that uh, – and not to uh, – dwell too much on the Pikmin's experience because that's it's well known but as we talked to uh tony you know he also felt a draw there was something about the sally house and a connection to Velisca, and i was drawn to it and wanting to cover it because again like most every topic we cover on the show scott or i or hopefully both of us and, and almost always both of us uh every time we cover a story because we just want to know more about it. Like, what's going on? Not saying, like, there's a there's a mystery or a treasure here, uh, like Polybius, but, like, what was all that about? Like, and so we just want to know more about it. That that thirst for knowledge fuels us. Now, when I'd heard the connection and he talked about it, and I'd heard it, uh, uh, again, not knowing much about the house at all, but uh, Tony said, you know, there's a couple times, if you believe him, that he, he woke up from basically a trance of some kind uh, one time in the winter, and he's barefoot and a few blocks down the street from the Sally house. Uh, and that he, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the story exactly, how he basically something was calling him, drawing him. And in this case, him, as his son said, he's uh, one of the most 
psychic people he's ever met, uh, that there is a connection there to him, uh, that he's he's tied to the house, but something is drawing him away. Now, if you look at Velisca, yeah, it's like, uh, uh, was it 502? What, what's the, you know... Uh, no, it's the same address, yeah. yeah. It's the same yeah. address. Uh, we couldn't, uh, you know, again, there's not enough data there uh, and not enough time, certainly, to try and dig up this kind of connection here. But one thing that was pretty odd that, that Tony said was that he saw one time uh, an older woman, uh, I believe in his kitchen, just as, as a flash, but like a, a visage of, of this older woman. And he didn't know who it was until, you know, of course they started ghost hunting and doing other uh, paranormal ex- uh, experiments and, and uh, adventures of theirs. And they started looking into Velisca, and of course, with the story, it's like, wait a second, that that woman I saw, that is the neighbor lady who was friends uh, with the, with the family and was the first one to knock on the door and realize something's wrong, as the bodies were discovered at Velisca. I must have missed that part. I'm not sure if we if we we had it in any uh, we mentioned it in any. Uh, if it ended up in the Velisca series or in huh. the Sally House series. Uh, but yeah, that was what he claimed is like, I didn't know who this woman was. And it's like, yeah, I saw a picture of her. It's like, wait a second. That's the neighbor woman. You know, she was hanging in her wash at like five thirty six in the morning. And she noticed that after a while, like the, uh, the mother had not gotten up. She thought that was unusual. Then she goes from, from her house and this poor woman is the one. Now I don't think she saw anything except that probably just blood, but she was the one who thought something's wrong here. And then they went to get help uh, and, uh, you know, eventually the sheriff and they opened the, the house and discover huh. the horror inside. But, uh, yeah, she's forever traumatized by that. So there's a connection there. But what is the connection to the Sally house? And then also uh, there was a, a lot of aportation of devices from the Sally house, like it was drawing uh, them back. They would find uh, a remote control that was singed or melted. And in the process, uh, melted pens, <laughs> which happened to me, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, this this is a new development. I have been looking for my copy of Principia Discordia ever yeah. since I got back from the Sally House, mm-hmm. and I I knew I had it in my backpack whenever I left. Apparently, it showed up at the house a few days ago. Uh, <laughs> it just uh, it just popped up on a table. No, my information is like in on the inside, like oh, you know, okay. and um, because I I do that to all of my books just in case, because I lend a lot of them out, so right, right. Uh, just to be safe. And then uh, I got yeah, I got some message from um, uh, a woman and her brother who had just gone there last week, and yeah. like, hey, really cool book. Thanks for leaving it. <laughs> Wait, what? What book? Yeah. You have my principia. Oh God, please send it to me for the love of God. Yeah. I've been looking everywhere for that thing. I, yeah. At this point, like that stuff no longer surprises me uh, at all. But yeah, like uh, the Vasilla, sure, I would like to go check that out. Yeah. But I really am. Uh, I'm. I'm kind of trusting like an instinctual compass in me right now. That right. I, I think for yeah, for your investigative purposes, that that's you know. I I always say this: go with your gut. When people say like, well, it can't be this or that or whatever, uh, you know, whatever entity or spirit it is, uh, you know, I just say like, trust your, trust your inner voice, your your gut, because there's an innate compass inside that will tell you if something's good or bad or not. Uh, you may feel that uh, you have no idea if it is, or you're you're questioning it. But 
if it's if it's not good, you're gonna feel it. Well, even if it's not good uh, at this point, I really am kind of trusting the process because I seem to be being led uh, to places that need new context. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it's the like the way that we viewed the Sally House is very different than anybody else did, and after what we uncovered after the Waverly experience, like now I'm really starting to trust the process. So I'm, I'm listening to the compass and the compass currently is telling me to go look into uh, uh soldier's orphanage in Gettysburg. Hmm. That one. And uh, I need to make a return back to point pleasant with a new team because the one that went there with me on the first one was not the right one. <laughs> the, the but people, I will tell you, the, it wasn't the, a good crowd or a small group mix. You think? Yeah, like I, I appreciate skeptics, but there's a difference between being a skeptic and mm-hmm. just being a bit of an ass. You know, <laughs> pooing so, on everything, right? Okay. Yeah, pretty much. But I, I will tell you the the one fun one that I'm looking forward to. And Scott, if I can land this, I'll, I'll you'll be the first to know. I am trying to lock down a private investigation of the USS Carolina. So, oh. Yeah, if okay. if I can make that happen, it would be nice to have the right people there. Yeah, but, that sounds great. So, guys, as we're uh, we're slowly wrapping up here, um, as, as Scott, I guess Forrest and I just kind of hijacked a fair amount of that conversation. I would one thing <laughs> that I really want to touch with you on about is, you know, we talked about how when we first uh, approached the subject in general, like we thought it was one thing after our experience, we thought it was another thing. And now after time has passed, we view it as another, I'm just curious what your thoughts and feelings about what's really going on there are for yourself. I don't know. I guess I think about it in a lot of ways. I compare it to one of the earliest series we did, which was on the uh, money pit at Oak Island. And, (laughs) Uh, the whole series about that, that people, even if they haven't heard our series, they now might be familiar with the uh, the Lagina's brothers who are out there working that, uh, trying to figure out if there's a lost treasure on that island. One of the things that we discovered in our investigation of it was that the island had been so excavated and drilled and demolished and put back together that there was nothing left. It would be almost impossible because it's it's gone to a true entropy to determine what was there beyond the odd giant rock that hasn't been moved that maybe has Mm -hmm. a symbol on it and things like that the rest of the island is is so chewed up and mixed up that you can't even relate necessarily where original excavations occurred or didn't occur so the end result is this soupy mix of of information and to me I think there's a lot to what you said and what Professor Daly said about all the people coming and going from the house, that definitely it was a focal point for whatever reason. And I think that based on the interactions of the of maybe one of the primary entities there that we've discussed, both on and off the record, I think mm. maybe, you know, there's that thing happening. But I also think... A lot of people are sneaking into the kitchen and putting stuff into the soup bowl while it's cooking. And (laughs) I think that that's attracted a lot of different types of things, because if there's anything that I've also learned from looking at uh, into Skinwalker Ranch and other kitchen sink, what what Forrest and I call kitchen sink kind of uh, hotspots, that the hotspot maybe has... um, 
a few qualities to it, just a few that say, okay, this is a place where this can happen. But the types of things that it can attract run the gamut from just all different kinds of beings and things and existences. So while the hotspot itself might not be significantly complex in its makeup, the reality is that it allows a wide variety of things to interact through it. And so, and a lot of those things seem to be seeking out the energy that the living put off, positive or negative, as long as it's extreme. Mm -hmm. So when they go there and they partake in extreme emotional, spiritual activities or whatever you want to call them, I think they run the risk of attracting all kinds of things to that place where it's easier for those things to communicate or interact. And so the end result is, if you're trying to get to the bottom of it, and I'm sorry for you on this, you're about as lucky as you are to figure out what was originally buried at the bottom of uh, the money pit on Oak Island. It's just too much of a mess. <laughs> it's too much of a mess. Yeah. But I, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I guess that's my that's my takeaway. The other thing for me now that I've got a few years on it and looking back on it, I'm only just now to the point where I would even talk about it as much as we talked about it tonight. And I appreciate you doing so. Yeah, right? no, and I, I know I, I can tell on your face this has not been an easy chat for you. So well, I just I, I don't do want to. I don't. I still don't want to go back. I don't need to go back, and um. I also don't need to, you know, we've got gear. I just bought some gear. I'm interested mm -hmm. in the Estes method. I, I do want to try that out. I think it's fascinating. I'm drawn to it technically. I'm drawn to what it is. But I no longer have a need to show up somewhere with a ton of gear and grab any kind of proof either. Mm. Like, I, I like the idea of capturing an EVP to get the message from it, but I don't need yeah. to play the message for anyone else, and I don't care if they believe what it is. Yeah. No, it's, I, that's the purpose of the gear. Like I said, the last two times I went, because that's the thing. You uh, most people may not know. Uh, you know, you get there just uh, before sundown, like eh, seven, eight, maybe nine p.m. Uh, the caretaker usually leaves. You get locked in. That's why it's called a lockdown, so nobody's wandering in and out. It's like, oh, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm the Coca-Cola machine guy. You know, sorry, I disturbed you. You you want to you want it closed off so that you're not getting errant uh, uh triggers on your false stuff. positives yeah false yeah. positives so uh then you're locked in there and you can do whatever you want and like, like i said it's like fishing it's like well we didn't no bites on the second floor let's go to the third let's try the fourth let's try this uh where the creeper lives down here on the fourth floor uh you try different spots and what's fun though is that uh again i'm not you're, you know you're not going to get a as i always say a ghost in a jar uh, but while you're there, it's just like, oh man, I just got to chill. And then the REM pod goes off and then the, the, uh, the static meter goes off and your EMF meter, your K2, whatever. It's like, okay, that's four different devices. Plus a personal, uh, sensory experience, uh, that all seem to be either one massive, ridiculous coincidence that they all just triggered, or you really are sensing something that's there. And again, it, it's like, I don't care if you show that a, a video of that to anybody who uh, is unconvinced, they are going to remain unconvinced. It's like, well, that's just, you know, that got triggered by this or that, or there's a radio signal that came in and it picked it up and it kicked off the, R, the, you know, the REM pod. But the, the thing is, like I said, it's the fun of it is being there with your friends, uh, digging into the history. Uh, you know, if there is a, a, a message uh, receiving that, but... Uh, 
you know, I don't think you're going to get an answer to your life other than uh, it's you, maybe you help an entity out. And maybe that was the purpose of being called there for, for that. It's like they always say with the, the you know, the, the psychic mediums is that I need you to tell my story and, uh, or solve my murder. It's all these, these things are basically just, uh, we're lonely. We want to talk to somebody. Um, who knows what the reason is? And it's all very murky, but, uh, you know, there's no, there's no harm in, in looking, but as with fishing, uh, it might affect your life negatively. If you went fishing every day <laughs> for 10 years, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, that's fun. But unless you're a professional, uh, you know, bass fisherman, uh, you know, that's going to affect your, your life. And as with any other fun thing or obsession, uh, you, there has to be a balance. And I think, uh, trying to find the answers, it's like, yeah, you might get something, you might get a, a pretty remarkable message coming through or some kind of connection, but, but keep in, keep balance with it, you know? And, uh, because it can, like I said, it can take you over and eventually you're just, you'll be another guy who's selling all of his gear on eBay. Yeah. Fair point. I don't think that's ever going to happen with me because right. I think I've, I don't I, think I've ever yeah. felt more at home than I uh, I yeah. do right now. But no, I, I think, like I said, I, I think you you have a good attitude going in. You're you're uh, again, you're not out to prove ghosts exist. You're you're there to find out uh, what you can. Uh, but like I said, sometimes you know, again, just pay attention to the, the trickster element. Is what Scott's saying is that it's like maybe it's borehole 10x. We'll drill down. No, it's not there. <laughs> It's like, wait, we don't even know where Borehole 10X is anymore because it was filled in with junk. And then you're chasing, basically you're chasing your tail. That's a great one, by the way. Yeah. It's, there's five many seasons. And it's like, I love the chase. Like, that's fun. Are they going to, the Lagina's going to find anything? Uh, no. I don't know. Like I said, you might find some, you know, I always ask people who keep up, you know, keep up with the show. I don't have cable, so I have to ask them. I don't ask them to recount. It's like, hey, anything ever happens? It's like, well, they found a Spanish cross. It's probably from uh, the 1500s. It's like, well, that's interesting. Was it the cross that, of Coronado? Yeah, Let there might be something uh, right you know, from Africa. <laughs> if you did that much like, excavation anywhere on the east coast of North America, you'll probably find a Spanish cross. Yeah, whatever, yeah, that, whatever mean, it is, true. that's fun. But when I people dropped crap, me is like I said, the the, the mother load on that was uh, I can't remember the the names, of course, but they drilled down uh, with an auger. You know, go Rick and Marty. No, this is, uh, uh, we're talking about the turn of the century, you know, turn of the century, was it 1890s, whatever it was? They, apparently, they hit a chest uh, before that was sitting on a platform, and they brought it up, and they thought it was like pieces of metal that were rounded, not necessarily coins, and that was the, the, the rumor, the part of the tale where they, they had a piece of parchment that had India ink on it, and it had uh, the letters V... And W, I think. Yeah. And to me, it's like, there you go. It's a, it's a message, but it's also uh, like what we're just talking about. I think the, the main entrance, like, that's the dumb way to go. It's like, you you know you're going to be pounding your head, but it's like, just it's just another, it's just one more EVP. It's just one more, it's one more layer, 10 feet down. You're almost there. Keep going. You, there's a treasure there. And... You get to the chest and it's a bunch of, uh, of dummy slugs of metal and uh, and a parchment <laughs> that says, nice try, idiot, wrong direction, because you just flooded this thing. 
There is no denying that anybody who ends up devoting their lives to the paranormal, and especially those who end up donating their lives to UFO research, it ruins lives. Let's just be real here. Like yeah. it, it ruins lives. It can. I mean, there's people who don't <laughs> who switch disciplines though. Like they give up ghost hunting and they they go to UFOs and vice. And I know people vice versa who've done. Uh, they have usually a kind of a weird or an experience that says. Set this aside. Go check out something else. You still like the paranormal. There's different aspects of this. And so they, they set one genre or discipline aside and they go check out something else. Uh, it, you know, and it all has a natural course to it, I think. Just like I said, just listen to yourself and, uh, you know, don't always keep chasing your tail because it'll be that John Klein phone call. If you just wait and you pick up the phone at midnight, it's going to be exactly who you want to talk to. And it Definitely not chasing my own tail. Okay. But I am definitely not going to continue to chase anybody else's. And I think that's that's the approach, again, that I'm going with is that I – while I, I might not ever discount the history of some of these places, is it helping figure out what's going on there or resolving the issues? Maybe not mm -hmm. necessarily. And I think that's kind of the approach that I'm trying to get to. However, still, I'm still in the early stages of all this. So when weird things happen to me – I have a solid two months of me just kind of staring yeah. at the wall going, what, what did I, what, what was, what happened? What was that? Yeah. What the hell? Oh God. <laughs> you know, well, just, you know, like I said, log it all. Uh, it's going to be an interesting story, no matter what you find. And certainly mm -hmm. let us know about it. Absolutely. We piece it together. Now, uh, Scott, uh, before I wrap this up here, I, I will say, since you're, uh, you know, stone's throw from me, you should definitely, if you want to do like a lighthearted investigation, you should really go check out Dorothea Dix Park. Oh, okay. Like that place is wildly active and it's a lot of fun. Is like, that here in Greensboro? No, that's uh, that's in Raleigh. Actually. Oh, yeah, because I know where the hospital is, but I didn't know if their park was separate from the hospital. Uh, hospital is on there somewhere, uh, still shut down i think at this point yeah but yeah the uh the cemetery the crybaby lane area there's like three or four spots on there and they're all incredibly active yeah. and a lot of fun to go to do you have to go on the campus for that though Do yeah but i mean you? it's yeah it's it's open okay well guys i know i'd like to thank you so much for yeah, taking time thanks for having us man yeah absolutely thanks for hopping into the black lodge as i refer to it and <laughs> hanging out um, nice and uh, tp reference there yes absolutely but yeah thanks for joining me uh for sharing your perspectives on this absolutely fascinating frightening and sometimes very funny paranormal hotspot mm -hmm. uh before we wrap this up is there anything that you guys have coming down on the pipeline that you'd like to share Oh, we're supposed to be ready to plug something here. Let's well, see. Well, uh, by the time this, uh, when when do you think this will air? Uh, Saturday. Okay. Well, there's, uh, <laughs> by the oh. time it airs, we'll be doing absolutely nothing yeah. between now and then. No. Well, we just we just had a, a well-deserved um, break, my friends. <laughs> speaking of, of uh, terrors of the Midwest, we just aired or published or pushed out to the uh, the interwebs a episode on the. Enfield Horror, or the Enfield Monster, which was a spate uh, on this anniversary date of yesterday, April 25th, 1973, a weird three-legged creature being spotted by at least one town's uh, person and possibly others, but they also have saw, uh, so they also have seen something that was not like what was described, and uh and then what you realize is there was a whole flap going on from 72 to 73 
probably beyond. And uh, what we have coming up after that is that there was a section that we recorded that is more of a look academically on the phenomenon of, uh, you know, people always say like, well, that was just mass hysteria. Or as it was known uh, in the 30s, social contagion. One person sees a weird creature, or they think they did, and then suddenly others are, and then next mm. thing you know, it's a, it's a wave or a flap. So we, we spend a good uh, 90 minutes taking a look uh, at this uh, phenomenon, how it's viewed by sociologists. How would they view this as a, as a human uh, experience? Not so much monsters. You can't prove monsters. Uh, but let's say that people did see something weird or unexplained. How do they behave then? Because they behave in specific patterns. So we have a bonus. Uh, we have some bonus material that we're going to air that will take a look into that from, from the science angle of, of just how do people re, re, react when they see something that freaky? Oh, that's going to be fun. Is that going to be coming out on the, the main show or the Patreon? We haven't decided. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> we, we, think, we think we'll offer it for uh, the patrons for, uh, you know, get an advance uh, listen to it for a week or so, maybe just a week, and then we will push that to the wider audience as it, it really is kind of a part two, we see it as uh, to what we just released about the Enfield and, and other Midwest monsters. Nice. I can't wait. I actually, I love it when you guys uh, do cryptids. I, honestly, I love <laughs> everything that you guys do. Oh, thank but, you. Cryptids are always like a, a fun, lighthearted one uh, for you guys to veer off. And just on. And as, as weird as anything else we cover, it's just a physical. That one yeah. definitely is. And folks, I would like to point out that the date that that the incident that they're talking about, the infield monster, is your host's actual birthday, and we're recording yeah. it the, the day after of the anniversary on here. There's the and uh, yeah. yeah. As an added bonus, if you go the extra mile and support Astonishing Legends by joining their Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash um, Astonishing Legends, you'll get a sneak peek of the next big subject that we'll be tackling here uh, by subscribing and listening to the fifth episode of the Astonishing Junk Drawer, which, guys, that was a whole hell of a lot of fun. Thank you so mm -hmm. much for having me. Yeah, it, it was a blast, any, man. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, too. Anytime you need filler, like just give me a call. <laughs> I've always got something weird up my sleeve. I still haven't told you what happened to us at Brown Mountain. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, gentlemen, uh, thank you again for joining me to conclude this highly exhausting subject, as I'm sure you'll <laughs> both agree on that. Uh, I'm sure you can relate. And now I'm going to take a month-long break from Ghosts and talk about something else for a few episodes, like the Mandela effect <laughs> or... I don't know, gremlins. Yeah. Oh, well, no. it, you know, and then uh, just keep a, an ear and an eye out for any connections and, uh, you know, get that ball of red yarn out and let us know what connections you make. Like I said, two different cases, which I never expected, uh, Sally House and Velisca, do seem to be connected, but I never, I never found that thread. But I do believe that there's something there. And just on an intellectual level, I was... Uh, I was uh, felt compelled to just look into Velisca, which is uh, again such a horrible thing that uh, yeah. it was it was heavy, but uh, you know I, I I feel satisfied like okay I took a look now until something else pops up it's going to sit there on that shelf getting burned <laughs> and melted. That one's definitely on the list somewhere down the line, but right. got a few other mysteries to solve first. Excellent. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, thank you so much, John. It was always a pleasure and an honor uh, talking yes. with you, sir. Thank you. Uh, the honor is all mine. You guys are a huge influence on me and a huge influence on why I even went to this house in the first place. So thank you for taking the time, gents. Absolutely, sir. Good night. That house reaches far, wide, and deep too many, my friends. It was a powerful experience, and one that has only fueled my curiosity and captivated me even more. And while this chapter of my interaction with it may conclude tonight, there are more yet to be written. As I stated in the opening of this episode, that house is not done with me, and I am definitely not done with it. But for now, this is where our journey through the Sally House ends. Following this, we will be dark for two weeks while I recuperate from this massive series and prepare a series of one-off subjects that will no doubt keep you interested until we get to our next big investigation. And friends, I gotta tell you, that next one we'll be sharing with you, it's a doozy. A sincere thank you to Scott, Forrest, and everyone over at Astonishing Legends. Don't forget to click on the link in the show notes for more experiences regarding the Sally House and the infamous File 10, and check out all the amazing work that they do over there. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, everywhere as XVPlanus. And you can follow my own personal misadventures and musical projects at Folds and Floods on those same platforms. Links for both are in the show notes. If you like what we do here, head on over to iTunes or Spotify to rate and review us, and tell your friends about us. Tell your families about us. Hell, scream at random people at the club, bus stop, or grocery store about us. We are an independent show, and we will only travel by word of mouth, at least for the time being. XV Planus is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. For more great shows like the one you just listened to, go to www.tgmpodcastnetwork.com. That's www.tgmpodcast. N-E-T-W-O-R-K dot com. This show is produced in Durham, North Carolina, and is written, edited, and scored by yours truly. Music from the show can be found on my Bandcamp page for Folds and Floods or anywhere you stream your music. Once again, I am your host, Flood, and this has been XV Planus. Thank you for being a part of the journey so far. Keep your hearts soft, your heads strong, and your spirits weird and wonderful. Take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and I'll see you in the between. In abumbratio, in fluctus, subvillo.